Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is our special open spoiler discussion of the new James Gunn, The Suicide Squad. In case you didn't catch that, this is an open spoiler discussion. So if you've not seen Suicide Squad yet and you don't want to be spoiled for the movie, you're in the wrong place. Just bookmark this video, come back to it a little bit later, and uh, and then watch it then. Because we are going to talk about Suicide Squad and all of its immense glory in a full, open, spoilerish kind of way. Now, <clears throat> we're going to spend almost all day just taking your comments and questions. Now, normally on the John Campia Show, if you want to get a live comment or question on the show, you use the tip link that's down in the description of the video. However, for these special spoiler discussion videos and play in chats and things like that, you actually use the super chat feature built right into YouTube. So use the YouTube super chat feature, and that's how you get a comment or question right on here. But before we get into it, I will give my quick impressions. You guys have already heard me review this movie a couple of weeks ago. I loved this movie. Absolutely loved it. It is James Gunn at his best, and I believe my wife, Ann Campy, if you saw our little, the John and Ann vlog, where Ann saw Suicide Squad for the first time, she put it best. I said, what did you think of Suicide Squad? And Ann said, um, she said, I, it's like Warner Brothers gave James Gunn a whole bunch of cocaine, all the money in the world, and said, go make whatever movie you want. Go make whatever movie you want, uh, which is... Pretty cool. So, uh, and she was absolutely right. She was a hundred percent right. So, and that's what it was. It was James Gunn doing what he did with Guardians of the Galaxy. He took a, a collection of more obscure, weird, eclectic, weird, odd characters, put them together, and made something magical out of it. The violence is hyper, yes, but the emotion is equally as hyper. Um, you get connected to these characters almost as quickly as they die. I, I just couldn't believe how good this movie was. I, I loved it. Absolutely adored it. Now, the things you guys also heard me say that the things that made me completely love the movie are also the things that made me feel like it's not going to be for everybody. Like, I love the hyperviolence, but the hyperviolence is not for everybody. I love them using really super obscure characters. That's not going to be for everybody. So it's cool. You know, it's not going to be for everyone. Uh, but it is what it is. I loved it. I mean, <clears throat> my God, ladies and gentlemen. Book read. So smart me. How great was King Shark? How great was King Shark? You know, one of the most emotionally moving moments of the movie, and Rob and I talked about this the other day, but it was just that quick moment. There was no dialogue, but we learned so much about, I, I never know how to pronounce his real name, Numwe, Numwe, whatever. Um, when they're driving through town and he's looking out the van window and he sees a couple kissing and the camera just pans back to his face and we learn so much about the character of King Shark just in that brief moment. Just in that moment, we learned so much about him, what he's yearning for, what he's longing for, the emptiness he has inside about not being able to have connection and relationship. It connected with the thing where he says, no friends. I mean, th this simplest little dialogue, yet James Gunn found a way to tell so much story through that. I, I thought it was amazingly done. Amazingly done. Love this movie. Absolutely love this movie. 
And uh, yeah, so there's that. But listen, we're not here to, to listen to what I had to say about it. I've already, I gave my quick out of the theater review. We gave our more, more full review on the show. You've already heard my thoughts. You know, I love this damn thing. We are here to talk about the things you want to talk about and what you thought about James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. So let's not waste any time and get right into it here. We're going to start things off here with the family guy who writes. Uh, family Guy's 2,204 writes, I was crying. Uh, I was happy floating among the stars. I, or didn't he say, didn't Star Wars, uh, uh, didn't Star Wars say, I was happy floating, looking at the stars? Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Did he not say floating, looking at the stars? I thought, well, whatever, it's close enough. It's close enough. That was a powerful moment. And it's, when you think about it, Starro is actually a victim in this movie. Star Wars is a total victim in this movie. He's just floating around in space looking at the stars, and these astronauts pull him into their ship, bring him back to Earth, lock him up for 30 years, and he's pissed. He's totally pissed. And that line at the end, we just says, I was happy floating, looking at the stars. I mean, I just like, that's moving to me. That was totally moving to me. Anyway, uh, Ben Hayusa writes, never I thought I'd be emotionally invested into a character that controls rats. Ratcatcher 2 was truly the heart and soul of the movie. And Cena was surprised too, was surprising too. Uh, he was menacing to where I feared for Flag in their fight. Yeah, listen, I, uh, the Ratcatcher character was so on point. And the way they constantly, a couple times through the movie, they would bounce back to flashbacks with her and Taika Waititi, her father. And I love the way she talked about his drug addiction. She referred to it as his burden. His burden became too great. And she just, she looks back at him lovingly because he loved her. Even with his burden, even with his drug addiction, he loved her. And then right before the final confrontation with Starro, um, was going back to him and seeing him say like, yeah, the rats are the smallest and whatever the creatures, but they have purpose as do we all. And then you cut back to like James Gunn, like this was such perfect editing. Then they cut right back to her with tears in her eyes as she remembers her father's words and seeing that her father's words were about to save the world. You know, it was totally powerful. It was amazing. She was wonderful. And I love that one line too, when talking about whether they should kill King, King Shark or not, she's like, I'm willing, like, I can't remember exactly how she put it, but if I die betting on love, then it'll be a good death or something along those lines, right? Perfect, wonderful, wonderful line. Absolutely love that line. Okay, uh, let's see. Next up, we have uh, Ben Hughes also writes, Rats, the lowliest and most despised of all creatures, my love. Yet they have purpose, so do we all. I'm not too fond of rats, but wow, yeah, it was amazing. Now, the one thing I will say, um, the one thing I will say was that the moment she got up on the car and summoned the rats, I'm like, that's about 7 billion rats. Now I'm sure there's a lot of rats in this neighborhood, but that was an awful lot of rats that just happened to be there. I, I mean, whatever, whatever it was for cinematic purpose. So I'm okay with it, I suppose. Okay. Our damn thing is jumping all over the place again. Sorry about this guys. Um, where are we at here? Ben Hayosa also writes, uh, watching this when, okay, watch, watching this when goes live while eating dinner, uh, me to this food, nom nom in King Shark, 
in King Shark's voice. So I guess you're saying while you're watching dinner, eating it, and you're like, nom nom. I mean, come on. Who, who, who saw this movie is not saying nom nom just before they start eating right now. I, I, I bet at least 40% of you are probably saying nom nom just before you eat. All right. Daniel uh, Escondura writes, Amanda Waller, she didn't. She didn't even got Weasel some water wings. That was, listen, I laughed my damn ass off. When, first of all, Weasel jumps in the water. It's like, nah! everybody's like, did nobody check to see if Weasel could swim? That was hilarious. Daniel also writes, imagine Papa Juan and Mother Juanita are t- taking the baby for a stroll in Corto Martiz when all of a sudden an Afghan hound with thumbs shows up. Dude, I loved that he lived at the end. I was so happy. I was so happy that um, that they went back and showed that he was alive at the end. I cannot wait to see what they do with him next. I hope he pops up in Peacemaker. I really do. All right, Epic Dub Time 23 writes, Love the movie. Even if I half expected the butchery at the beginning, I was still bummed by Boomer's death. Didn't like the first Suicide Squad, uh, but even if he was underused, I still liked him as comic relief. I liked the Captain Boomerang character. I did. But you know, him dying. And I see some people complaining about, about, um, flag dying too. Listen, it's key characters. Deaths keep us on our toes. They keep the script in the movie from becoming too predictable. I really didn't think flag was going to die. I really did not. And I, and I know that James Gunn knew that nobody would believe he was dead. So that's why they showed, they used that one shot to show the, 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 um, uh, I don't know, tile, whatever it was, actually piercing his heart. So we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt, oh yeah, Flag's dead. But it's that stuff. I expected a lot of those Suicide Squad members to die at the beginning. I did not expect Captain Boomerang to die. Not not right. Like, why bring him back just to have him die? I know, well, to keep us shocked and to keep us on our toes. And I thought that was great. All right, uh, let's see. Next up, uh, Daniel Escondura writes, Gotta say, this movie had some major Doom Patrol vibes. In some ways, it did, yeah. Uh, I was waiting for either cra- uh, for either Crazy Jane or Cliff to show up. Just imagine that crossover. Uh, well, I mean, theoretically speaking, they're both in the DC cinematic. I mean, they're both in the universe of DC, I should say. So it's not the most unlikely of things. Could happen. I doubt it, but it could. Uh, Daniel Haygood writes, I think my favorite part about the movie may have been its score. Uh, the Radism track uh, playing over the climax was beautiful. You know, again, I didn't pay a lot of attention to the score. By the way, can I, I forgot to show this to you at the beginning. Can I just do this? So this weekend, Ann and I, we went to Palm Springs. We decided to take, we, it's been a long time since Ann and I had a weekend away. So we decided to go to Palm Springs this weekend and go see our favorite comedian, Joe Coy. I think Joe Coy is the best comedian in the world right now. And of course, he's Filipino, so as, as he would say. And so we went to go see the Joe Coy Coy concert and look who got himself an autographed, come on, focus, this autographed uh, Joe Coy pop. They had the pop there, uh, got one autographed, loved it. I think Joe Coy is the best comedian in the world right now. Anyway, so uh, where were we? Oh, yes. Um, The score, I, I didn't really pay a lot of attention to the score, but that moment near the end as she's summoning all the rats to go and attack Starro, that was perfect. That mu- that music at that point was just perfect for what was going on on screen. Absolutely. Uh, okay, next up. Uh, Daniel Haygood also writes, um, there was also a surprising amount of Wes Anderson influences, I thought, uh, particularly in the use of story transitions with the chapter titles on screen. Yeah, I, I don't think Wes Anderson was the first person to do that. That's been done before. But I did think it was really cool the way he did it. 
like the blood in the water from Savant forming the letters and fire forming the letters and all that kind of stuff. That was a really cool, cool little storytelling technique that I thought worked very, very well uh, in the movie. I really did. Thanks for that, Daniel. Next up, uh, Ashe Najjar writes, um, one of four. Hey, John, I always keep on uh, bringing the filthy. Thank you. Hoping you dressed as Harley Quinn again. No, I didn't dress as Harley Quinn this time. Of course, for the first Suicide Squad, I dressed as Harley Quinn to do the review. Uh, Hoping you dress as Harley Quinn again or Squirrel Girl. I I mean Rat Girl. I mean Rat Catcher. Uh, My actual score is three out of five, uh, but gave it plus one. So four out of five, just because I was so glad to finally be watching a movie in theaters here in Mississauga in two years. That's awesome. Um, You probably were in the theater that I've gone to a couple times in Mississauga, the big the big uh, Cineplex there. Anyway, uh, three or four Suicide Squad, despite its issues, was okay, But the Suicide Squad is nom nom Uh, loved its gunniness. But if I'm being nitpicky, was bummed that uh, that son of shark god died dies that easily despite his flaws huh the son of shark god dies that easily despite his flaws and peacemaker uh john cena never can stand him especially in w uh in wwe survives well wait a minute did you see the movie like uh king shark lived i don't know if you saw the movie king shark lived so I don't I don't know what you mean by bum that son son of shark shark god. I assume you mean I assume you mean King Shark. Uh but yeah, he totally lives. <laughs> he totally lives. I don't know what you're talking about. But we knew John Cena was gonna survive because we've got the Peacemaker show coming. So that was up. And I gotta say, especially in the more emotional moments of the movie, like I got when he was talking to Flag, I was very impressed. I was very, very impressed when he's talking to Flag and he's got the gun on Flag and he's like, look, I've got orders. I'm following it. But even if it means killing a hero like you, don't make me do that. Like Cena actually did some legitimate acting. Not just some good comedic timing that he has shown he has before, but I mean, he had some legitimate acting and I believed him that Peacemaker was struggling with the fact that I got to follow my principles here. I've been told to keep this secret. It's going to keep the peace, peace at all costs. But Flag, don't make me do... You're a hero, Flag. Don't make me do this. I don't want to... He actually convinced me that he was struggling with that a little bit. Just like he did when he was going to kill Ratcatcher 2. And he was... You, you, know, you could tell he didn't really want to do it. He was legitimately struggling with. He was still going to follow through on his core principles, which is what the character should do. But John Cena's performance convinced me that he was really struggling with it. And I've got to give him full marks for that. I really, really do. So anyway, that's just me. All right. Thanks for sharing your thoughts there, uh, Ashe. Next up, we got Daniel Skandura writes, "Uh, I love this movie. James Gunn showed us that you don't need top tier characters to make a story enjoyable. His writing was just impeccable. Also, Schnepp would have loved this for sure. Absolutely, he would have. And listen, top tier characters is all about how you write the characters. He didn't need to use famous characters. But I would argue that Polka Dot Man, that Ratcatcher 2, he made them top tier characters by the way he wrote them and gave them story. And, and I really like that part of it. All right. Tom uh, Weinberg writes. When Shark wandered off on his own in the tower, I laughed so hard because of how nonchalantly he went up the stairs. I love him. Big, dumb friends. 
Dude, I, I just still can't believe how much I enjoyed King Shark. And by the way, I don't know if you guys knew this, but yes, Sylvester Stallone does the voice of King Shark, but the guy who did the motion capture for King Shark and was actually King Shark on set is the same guy who worked for Amanda Waller, the big guy with the beard. This is, we got a kaiju! That guy played two roles in the movie. He played that technician for Amanda Waller, and he was the actual guy in suit for, um, for King Shark. So between the dialogue the motion, the voice of Sylvester Stallone. They just brought it all together to make a really, really great, enjoyable character. All right, next up. Tom also writes, my only gripe with the film was it felt a little like Ratcatcher could just defeat Starro on, all on her own. Taking him down did not feel like a true team effort, uh, but that is my first criticism. I loved it. Well, I mean... I don't know, because remember, it wasn't until Harley, like they were annoying Starro, crawling on him. They were annoying him. But it wasn't until, you got to remember, he was first slowed down because Polka Dot Man ripped one of his legs off. So that stopped him. And then the rats weren't able to actually do damage to Starro until Harley Quinn used the javelin to pierce his eye so the rats could get inside and start gnawing away at his brain. And that's ultimately what took him down. So while Ratcatcher 2 was definitely a big key element to that, it it really was a team effort. They saved a lot of lives. Like every moment that they caused delay to Starro, they, every second Starro was turning his attention on them, they were saving probably 50 lives. Every second that they were able to stop him and slow him down, everything from Bloodsport firing his cannon at him to obviously Polka Dot Man ripping off one of his legs to the rats like distracting him, then Harley Quinn obviously getting it. I mean, it... It did feel like, I, I got to disagree. I kind of did feel like it was a team effort. It, it did kind of feel like it was a team effort to me, but I, I too get what you're saying. I totally do. All right. Thanks for sharing that, Tom. I appreciate that, man. All right. Uh, J Dav or J Jav Dav writes and sends in like a $20 tip. Thank you, J Jav. Appreciate that, man. Um, best Harley portrayal by far. I did love the Harley, uh, the Harley Quinn portrayal in this. Loved it. Starro's last words were incredibly sad. Cena killed it. When Polka Dot Man uh, said interdimensional virus. I audibly said, whoa, <laughs> in theater, uh, this movie felt amazing. Nine out of 10 for me, by the way, I think my biggest laugh, I might change my mind on this throughout this video, but I think my biggest laugh might've been when weasel couldn't swim, but maybe as big as that, when Harley shoots El Presidente and is like, I'm sorry, but I made a rule for myself the last time I, that the next time I date a guy and see red flags, I would do the right thing and murder him. <laughs> and she murders him. She just shoots him right there. And by the way, can I just say this, J. Jeff? Can I just say this? That without ever saying the word Joker, Joker was everywhere in Harley Quinn's portrayal. Like, you just saw joker's continuing influence and damage on her throughout the movie and that was just one part like there are several moments through the film when she's speaking that you could totally tell was coming from a damaged part of her as a result of joker right so without ever using the word joker joker was totally present in the movie 
it, it was, you could just feel, I, I like how a uh, zoom station says, just says this in the live chat says, I felt Joker's aura. And that's, that's a good way to put it. You could feel Joker's aura through it. And I thought that was really, really well done. Anyway, thanks for sending that in J Dev. All right, next up, uh, Ethan Holgate writes one of two. John, seen the movie twice now, and for me, even better on the second watch. Love the kill sequence between Bloodsport and Peacemaker. Oops, uh, we did, we didn't know. Uh, love the whole movie. Uh, James Gunn absolutely nailed it. Uh, you can tell he had so much fun writing this movie. Loved every character, so well developed and great. I, I mean, absolutely. And by the way, oh, oh, I take it back. Remember, I said I would change my mind. My biggest laugh in the moment in the movie, and when I wanted to like scream and crawl under the chair, is when they kill all those people in the village, and they break into the hut, and there's Flag drinking tea, and they realize they just killed everybody who was on their side. They just killed all these people who just rescued Flag. It's like, why did my people warn me of your arrival? Oh, well, you didn't see any people. I, when that that when that realization hit me as an audience member that they killed all good guys, I was just go ah! like I was just totally freaking out and laughing hysterically at the same part. I mean, I I was just dying inside, man. I was dying. And yes, James Gunn, Ethan found a way to make us become emotionally attached, invested, and every single character had a moment to play. And it was just very, same thing he did with uh, with Guardians of the Galaxy. He did the same thing with Guardians of the Galaxy and did it really, really well. All right, next up, Marie Seifring writes, it's always bad news when the elevator has a floor called Little Dirty Secrets. Uh, and I don't know if that was supposed to literally be, I think that was the name of the next chapter. Like, just like how other things had things written on them. I don't think it literally on the elevator button said uh, little dirty secrets or dirty little secrets, whichever way it was. I think that was just the name of the next chapter. I think. Anyway, Marie also writes Harley at her homicidal best. Dude, I'll tell you what. In that scene, when she's being tortured, hanging by her arms, and then the general leaves, and then you just see the guy on his phone and behind her, Harley's eyes open. There was nothing funny in her eyes. Like that what that was the one moment I think out of the all the other Harley Quinn iterations that we've seen. That was the one moment as she's hanging there she opens her eyes and she's looking at the back of the head of her torturer. You're just like that's a homicidal maniac. That that's not oh lovable Harley Quinn. La, la. That person hanging from her arms behind this guy that's the face of a cold-blooded homicidal maniac. That's a that's a killer. And the way she was looking at him, the way a lion looks at an injured zebra. And I was I I'm not going to lie to you, I got chills. I got chills in that moment. I really did. I thought that was really really strong stuff. Anyway, that's just me. Thanks for that, Marie. All right, uh next up. We go uh Remmer Bulldog who writes Suicide Squad was fantastic. In my opinion, the best DCU, mo DCU movie ever made. For me, that's still Man of Steel, but I really did like this movie a lot. Uh, I loved every second of the movie. The movie is my favorite of the year. I it's right. I still think A Quiet Place 2 is still my favorite movie of the year overall, but this is right up there. I mean, listen, you guys have two movies coming out this weekend and next weekend in Suicide Squad and Free Guy. Believe the hype on Free Guy as well. Absolutely believe the hype on Free Guy. 
And I'm not just saying that because, you know, Ryan Reynolds is my favorite celebrity because you heard what I had to say about the hitman's wife's bodyguard. But I'm telling you, free guy. If you guys get to go and watch Suicide Squad one weekend and Free Guy the next weekend, that's a good back-to-back weekend at the movies. So yeah, again, not the best DCU movie to me. That's still Man of Steel, but the most different DCU movie they've done so far. Totally different, totally wacky, totally crazy. Absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. All right, next up, remember Bulldog also writes, I was really impressed with John Cena. I I was impressed with him too. I got to be honest with you. Uh, This probably is his best performance. And Idris Elba is one of the best actors alive today. And Margot Robbie was great. So was Daniela uh, Melchior. I don't know how to pronounce her name. And Polka Dot Man. The, The characters were great. Even Milton. Even Milton was great. They were all great. Thinker. I mean, all the Suicide Squad, God, I love that javelin. Only you are worthy to carry my javelin. Nathan Fillion is TDK, the detachable. Come on. Come on. Tell me you didn't laugh as his arms detach and he just is like slapping the soldiers with his arms. Come on. That was so good. Anyway, yeah, they they did. That's the thing, remember, you got to make these characters. The characters got to work or the movie doesn't. It's very rare that you come across a great movie where the characters weren't done really well. And that's where it started, and that's where uh, all the success really came for this movie. All right, Remmer also writes, I thought the weasel was going to be more in the film, but I guess the team one was just the sacrificial lamb, except for a couple who survived. I mean, yeah. I mean, I thought a lot of them were going to survive longer than just the first assault on the beach. Like, listen, we all knew that a lot of people were going to die in this movie. We also we knew a lot of the Suicide Squad were going to die, especially when James Gunn came out in that interview ages ago and said, yeah, Wonder Brothers said I could kill whoever I wanted to kill. It's like, well, then James Gunn is going to kill a lot of people. And so we knew a lot of them would die, but I was not expecting like all of them to die so quickly, especially Savant, because they start the movie with him. Right. They start the movie with him. And then so they they make you think James Gunn lulls you into thinking, oh, he's going to be a major character in this film. And then they kill him immediately. It's like, OK, totally on my toes. I mean, they kill all the guys at the beginning, except for Flag and, and Harley and obviously Weasel. But they thought we thought they killed Weasel. Uh, they, they killed uh, Polka Dot Man, which I really didn't see coming until he said, I'm a superhero. As soon as he said that, I'm like, oh, he's about to die. And then sure enough that, that he died. But before that, I really thought he was going to make it through to the end. But no, it did such a great job with the characters. They really did. Okay, next up. Suthius writes, thoroughly enjoyed this movie and had fun. I think... I think didn't, well, let me try this. I think didn't, it was as gratuitous as some were saying, definitely seen better, but man, it was awesome. I mean, it was pretty gratuitous. I mean, it's, I mean, the, the guy's head slices in half and his brains are, I don't know how more gratuitous you can get, but I thought it was pretty damn gratuitous. But yeah, I, I agree with you, Suthius. Thoroughly enjoyable. I had such a great time watching it. All right, Ryan Loner writes, was kind of hoping the post credit scene would show us uh, what Bruce Wayne thinks of what Waller did with the second chance he gave her. Uh, I mean, nah. I, it, let 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 Batman be in Batman movies. Like I, I remember seeing some people writing online, and this is the curse of having shared cinematic universe movies. Because I've been saying I've been saying this for ten years that whenever you have a shared cinematic universe movie, at some point 
some fanboys are going to go, why didn't Superman show up? Why didn't Aquaman show up? And sure enough, as soon as this movie released, I saw a bunch of these people online again going, I, if a giant starfish was attacking the city, Superman would have been there to help save this. It's like, guys, it's not called Suicide Squad and Superman. It's not called Suicide Squad and Batman. It's not called Suicide Squad and The Flash. If that was the case, every single DC movie, as soon as a, a something, some trouble happens, Superman should be there. And Batman will be right there. You still got to tell individual stories and individual movies. Get over this. Everybody's got to be in everything mentality. It drives me crazy. It, it's the death of good storytelling. It would be the death of every single time Superman's got to show up. Guess what? If Superman showed up in every single movie, that just solves all the problems. And you don't have interesting stories to tell or care other characters to develop and to focus on. So the, I mean, I remember watching Aquaman. Well, why didn't the justice league show up once all the stuff started to happen and the sea kingdom was attacking because the movie wasn't called justice league three. The movie is called Aquaman. It's about Aquaman and he's dealing with these problems. And it just drives me crazy. Still the curse of cinematic of uh, shared cinematic movies. Anyway, that's just me. All right. Anyway, that's why we, I'm glad they didn't have Batman show up at the end. I'm totally glad they didn't have him show up at the end. Um, anyway, next up. Um, where are we at? Suthius writes, I actually didn't mind that some of the new characters were killed off instantly. Uh, like, like that the first group was a decoy, but I didn't like that Flag and Harley were part of that decoy group, though. Remember, I think mis people misunderstand. I think me people misunderstand that. I don't think, like, Waller arranged for two teams. So if one didn't make it, whatever, call it a decoy. But I think they were honestly surprised when they found out that Blackguard had sold them out. Because... Remember, like when when Rat Catcher, or not when Rat Catcher, when Weasel died, drowning, like if Wallers purposefully sent them there just to die in that, then Rat, uh, Weasel drowning, Waller wouldn't have cared. But she's like, shit. Right? She was she was visibly upset that one of her team, like she doesn't mind killing them herself, but she was visibly upset that one of her assets died. She was visibly upset that one of her assets died. So I honestly believe that it was Blackguard that sold them out. It wasn't Waller that sold them out. I think she put two teams on separate beaches specifically in case one into trouble, they would become a decoy and the other could still go and accomplish the mission. But I don't think she set them up because again, it would make no sense that she was getting so upset when a couple of them started dying, particularly when Weasel drowned. She didn't send them there to die. I mean, if they die in purpose in service to the mission, so be it. But she didn't specifically send them there to die, and I think it was honestly just legitimately Blackguard that uh, that sold them out. But that because again, if she just sent them there to die, then why would Waller then say to the other team being led led by uh, Bloodsport, "Hey, new mission, go save Flag"? That makes no sense. If she sent that team there to die with Flag, then she wouldn't give two shits that Flag is dead. She would actually probably prefer it if he was dead. But instead, once she found out that, oh my God, one of the teams survived. Okay, new mission. You got to go save Flag. Go save Flag. 
right? So clearly she didn't want Flag to die. So that's why, to me, it it makes sense that uh, it makes sense that uh, Blackguard sold them out, and uh, but she did send two teams. One is a failsafe, and if one of them didn't make it, one of them didn't make it. But that's just my kind of my thought on that. Okay, next up, um, where are we at here? We are at. Uh, yeah, Suthia. So next up, Ryan Loner writes, DC continuity is so vague at this point. I'm 75% sure flag, uh, could just show up again in the next one with no explanation. Well, listen, they kind of did that with the X-Men too, didn't they? Remember at the end of X-Men three, Charles Xavier dies. And then all of a sudden he's just back later and they never really explain it. There was that one post credit scene that hinted at something, but that, no, I was just, yeah, he's back. I'm, I really believe, I think that Walter Hamada may be adapting a little bit of that Fox X-Men, the Fox X-Men mentality of continuity schmontinuity. Because I'll tell you what, eventually it didn't really matter that things weren't in continuity and there wasn't really any canon in the X-Men films. They were constantly contradicting and constantly whatever against other movies, but it didn't matter. Their only goal was just to make good movies. And sometimes they succeeded and sometimes they failed. But it also meant we got some of the best comic book movies ever made. I still contend that X-Men Days of Future Past is absolutely a top 10 best comic book movie ever made, maybe even arguably top five. Logan is definitely top three. And these, but these movies are totally out of continuity with the other ones. Like even the director explained that. It's like, yeah, it's it's kind of its own little thing. So I wouldn't be surprised if Walter Hamada might be adopting a little bit of that. And I'm not convinced that that may not be the best decision for this universe. Just worry about good movies, make good movies and don't let, you know, the minutia of, well, is this properly in canon and follow the continuity of, of a movie that came out six years ago about a different character? Who gives a shit? Ultimately, who gives a shit? I mean, if you can do it, great. But at the end of the day, when I go in to watch a movie, my first question is not, is this all in proper continuity with the Man of Steel movie that came out a few years ago? That's My first question is, is this going to be a fun experience to watch this movie? That's my first question. Are you going to give me great characters and a great story and a fun experience watching this movie? And if you do that, I could give two shits about whether it... But, well, you see, John, this, this doesn't work because in the first Justice League, so-and-so says this, but in this movie, they said it was something else. It totally breaks continuity. I, I don't give two squirts of urine. I don't care. I mean, it's nice if you can line that up, but if it doesn't, it doesn't. Just give me a good movie. And if they go that way, they go that way. But I'm, I I don't disagree with you, man. It does kind of feel like Flag could all of a sudden just magically show up in the next one with no explanation. But it really did feel like James Gunn went out of his way to put an explanation point on it for us, the audience, that Flag is dead by, by visually showing us the tile piercing his heart. It, it kind of felt that way to me at any rate. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, okay, next up. Uh, Remmer Bulldog writes, uh, not only was Suicide Squad hilarious, there was a lot of great emotion and great action in the movie as well, absolutely, and was well-rounded movie. Uh, there's so many standout moments, and all the characters had purpose. Agree. It is like, I I don't like reducing movies down to checkboxes, but 
if you do want to go down the checkbox of Suicide Squad, it has all the ingredients, right? Compelling characters, purpose for every character, all action being anchored in emotional purpose and emotional motivation, giving us moments of hardness and softness all at the same time with an interesting backstory and characters being caught up in a certain thing and it just and surprises along the way it checks a lot of boxes again i'm not a box checker when i watch my movies but when you break it down like that remmer you're absolutely right this one checks a lot of the boxes well observed all right next up suthius writes Love polka dot man and his superpowers. Holy cow. Interdimensional virus. Sure. I'll buy it. Uh, those dots were most lethal of all the powers in this movie. Absolutely. Like remember, when he ripped apart those guards that surprised them in the, in the building, like they just, they just disintegrated. And the way he was just in one shot, able to rip off star Wars. Like, I mean, I, had, had polka dot man not died. I think he could have taken out, Starro by himself. I feel like if he had enough concentration of polka dots, he could have just sliced Starro right in half. At least that's the feeling I got. And there's something cool about that. That the meekest little guy in the group was actually the most powerful. And then the second meekest little person in the group, Ratcatcher, with their little toy and their little pet rat, arguably is the second most powerful person in that group. There's something beautiful about that, about what to our, our normal sense of say is these are the meekest and the weakest characters. James Gunn flips that script on his head and says, these are actually the ones that will fuck you up the most. Peacekeeper with his little bullets, adorable. Bloodsport with his built-in wrist uh, crossbow thing, charming. Polka Dot Man will incinerate you. He'll incinerate a giant alien monster from space. I, I feel like you could have taken out the city. I don't know. The way they did it, I thought was really, really cool. Okay, anyway. Uh, Well-observed, man. Well-observed. All right, next up. Cutter Hale writes, uh, Love the way the credits uh, form out of blood. Uh, Tidy-whitey joke was hilarious. The tidy-whitey joke was actually pretty damn funny. Um, was hilarious. Polka Dot Man only seeing his mom was funny. Uh, going for a third time today. Listen, every time he said, when, when they said to him, and, you know, where's your mom? And he says, everywhere. And he looks, he sees all the faces. And then when he's looking up at Star, he just sees his a giant version of his mom. But the creepiest, the creepiest was when he's dancing on the floor and he just sees his mom all dancing around him. It's like, oh, that's also, yeah, Polka Dot Man isn't just a sweet dude. He is really disturbed. He is really, really disturbed. <laughs> and seeing like dancing, all these versions of his mom dancing upon him like, ah! But it's awesome too at the same time. Like it's hilarious. All right, anyway, thanks for that, Cutter. Uh, next up. Suthius writes, did you catch the brief cameo by Palm Clementif? I did. I love Palm Clementif. She, of course, she was one of the dancers in the club. She's got no lines. She plays Mantis in Guardians of the Galaxy. Did you also notice Lloyd Kaufman was in there too? Lloyd Kaufman was in there. Of course, with James Gunn's trauma background. And of course, he put Lloyd Kaufman in Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Those are pretty cool. All right. Next up, Chris Minor writes, 
I turned them into my mother in my head and I killed them. That was my favorite and funniest line in the movie. What was uh, your funniest for you? Again, I'm going back and forth. Between realizing all the guys in the village they killed were actually on their side. There was that. Realizing um, Harley Quinn saying, I made a promise to myself that the next guy I dated, uh, that I had red flags, I would do the right thing and murder him. That killed me. Um, uh, I still, I was in the trailer, but I still love Peacemaker's line. It's like, I love peace with all my heart and I don't care how many men, women, and children I have to kill to get it. I mean, that's a great line. Um, I mean, but King Shark, book read, so smart me. So smart me. Or when they're on the comms, bird. I love, come on. I put out on Twitter earlier. I said, come on, James Gunn. You know people at both studios. We need a Baby Yoda, Baby Groot, and King Shark road adventure movie. Make it happen. It's got to happen. Uh, all right. Next up. We've got um, uh, John Redcorn, who writes, over under 50% Bloodsport or Waller appear in Peacemaker. I will go over 15% that Waller does. I could see them getting her for a day to do just to work, to film a, a small part. So I could see Waller. That would make sense, especially since if you see the post post credit scene where Peacemaker is in the hospital and, you know, Waller sent her people there to save the world. They need him to save the world. So that's why I'll go over 15 percent. We'll see Waller. I don't think you can get Idris Elba to come in to make a quick cameo, though. I don't see them getting Idris Elba to do that. So I'll go over 15 percent that we get a Waller. Um, that we get a Waller appearance. All right, next up. Quentin Shibasawa writes, I knew the Peacemaker show was coming, so I knew it was unlikely, but I was really hoping that it was going to be Flag in the hospital. Hashtag justice for Flag. Well, listen, I didn't completely see the post credit scene coming because when they killed Peacemaker, I thought, oh, okay. So I guess the Peacemaker series is going to be a prequel. Because it wouldn't be the first time that they've done something like that, right? So I thought, oh, okay. I guess they killed Peacemaker. So I guess the show we're going to get is a prequel. But uh, it made more sense that they had him there. But yeah, it would have been great if it was Flag. But again, James Gunn, it, there's not really a lot. Unless you have superpowers, there's not a lot coming back from your heart getting pierced. Right? So I, I think they did kill him. And I listen, killing Flag was a shocking, surprising thing that served the story. It served the movie. And characters are there to serve the movie. And while I really like that Rick Flagg character a lot, his death in the movie really elevated the movie to me. It it created a moment of shock and sadness and all this kind of stuff, and it created great highlight moments. And you know what? His death, as great as his character is, his death served the overall experience of the movie. And so I was okay with it. I love the character, but I was totally okay with it. All right, next up. Uh, Mike A writes the scene with King shark in the aquarium just made my heart smile. It was so nice. Um, all he wanted was a friend. This movie was fantastic. I couldn't stop smiling the whole time. Very excited for the peacemaker show. And you know what else, Mike? I don't know if you guys agree, but I am thinking, I'm going to ask you guys in the live chat right now. I'm just see how many of you guys can think along my same wavelength. When King shark is playing with those fish creatures in the aquarium, right? And he's having so much fun. 
Like, uh, like you get the sense of maybe King Shark had never been happier. And then the aquarium breaks and he's in the water with all of them and they attack him. What movie was I thinking of when those little adorable cute creatures started to attack him? Let me see if any of you guys in the live chat can can figure out and think about what movie was I thinking of? Not Jaws, Robert Guest Jaws. Uh, not Piranha, not Jaws, not Slither, uh, not Deep Blue Sea. A lot of people saying Jaws. I don't know why we say, ah, Greg Scott Bailey gets it. Greg Scott Bailey gets it. Galaxy Quest. That's the scene. And also Mark Joseph, uh, Joseph also got, got uh, Galaxy Quest as well. Remember when they're on the, the planet and they, these adorable little creatures, oh, dude, and then all of a sudden they're blah, and they come out and they start attacking them? That totally made me think of that moment. I totally thought about that. It was a fantastic moment. I absolutely loved it. Thanks for sending that in, Mike. All right, next up. Uh, ben Rayner writes, the first team, uh, the one with Nathan Fillion and uh, uh, Michael Rocker, reminded me of Task Force-esque from Deadpool 2. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Don't know which I prefer. Uh, they were both great, though. It's true, because in Deadpool 2, the same thing happened. Right? He gathers the team only for them to die instantly, which was fantastic and great. And again, it made it kept us on our toes through the whole thing. It really, really did. That's a good, that's a good comparison, Ben. I like that. All right, next up. Cutter Hale writes, the soundtrack is pretty good. So bus, uh, so busted is the best song. I thought John Cena was amazing. You could tell he was contemplating whether um, or not he should do it after Killing Flag. Can't wait for the TV show. Cutter, that's exactly what I was saying earlier. That that moment, like John Cena has shown in the past that if you use him the right way in a movie, he can be very funny with some pretty good natural comedic timing. He's actually pretty good at that. Then along came that movie Blockers, and it showed that he can't really lead a movie yet. But that was a few years ago. So I'm watching this. I'm thinking, okay, so far, check, check, check. He's he's doing the comedic stuff, and he's doing it pretty well. But where he really impressed me, Cutter, is exactly what you're talking about. That moment when you see and believe the internal struggle that he as a character is having. His principles is, got to kill you, man. But he doesn't want to do it. And, and John Cena convinced me that Peacemaker was going to do what he had to do, but he kind of hated that he was going to do it. And he wasn't happy that he was going to do it. it. It was very, very good. That, that, that's legitimate acting right there. I'm not saying Oscar-worthy, but it is legitimate acting. So I completely agree with you on that, Cutter. I think that's absolutely key. All right. Next up, Ryan Loner writes, uh, I really felt bad for Starro. Me too. He's act he, Again, he's actually a victim in this movie. There's no sign that he wanted to hurt anyone until they hurt him first. I was happy floating, watching the stars. Yeah, I, I, that was just so beautiful. I was happy just floating and looking at the stars. And then you captured me and you brought me to earth and you imprisoned and tortured me for 30 years. F you humans. F you all. I mean, he had to be stopped. He totally had to be stopped. But again, you end up at the end feeling bad for him. It, it's a really good job they did with that. All right. Uh, next up. Al uh, Rensha writes, one of two. Hey, John, 
I love King Shark, you and me both, brother. In three scenes with only one of them with dialogue, I learned so much. The first scene where they said he had no friends, absolutely. Second, where they were driving through town. I talked about that one a little bit earlier. And third, uh, where the final scene where we saw him smile when Ratcatcher leaned her head against his shoulder. Just amazing. Yeah, they did so much with him. It's like, really, your friends? No friends. It's like, oh my God. And then the way he looks through the window and the fact that he finally feels like he has a place, he belongs. And they did, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. They did such a good job. This is what James Gunn does. He takes a freaking walking fish that barely speaks and he made him a fully fleshed out three-dimensional character that we end up caring about. It's crazy what he was able to do, Al. Absolutely crazy what he was able to do. Anyway, thanks for pointing that out, man. Uh, Al Rensha also writes, Hey, John, I love King Shark, Ratcatcher 2, and Polka Dot Man. That final scene killed me emotionally when Ratcatcher is calling her rats after she said, uh, this town is theirs. The music that was playing and flashback scene with Taika was great. Rats are the lowliest of the low, and they still have purpose. Very moving scene. But you know what was the beauty of that? When it cuts back to her and she's crying thinking of that, I don't think she was crying because rats have purpose. Remember the full line what Taika, what Taika Waititi said, they have purpose, as do we all. I think when we saw the, the camera cut back to her and the tears aren't streaming down her face because, oh, my rats have purpose. Tears are streaming down her face because I think for the first time she believed that she had purpose. I think that was the first time she ever actually believed that. That she had purpose. And I thought it was beautifully done, man. I thought it was really beautifully done with the music and all that kind of stuff too. It was absolutely fantastic. I absolutely loved that moment. I really, really did. All right, uh, next up. Koa1708 writes, I felt bad for Starro. That's a running theme. Uh, he was captured and experimented on. I was happy floating, staring at the stars. I mean, it. I am so glad that James Gunn put that line in at the end. Like, look, let's not take anything away. Starro killed a lot of people. Like, that, that town was just filled with corpses after he was done. But... You, and so he had to be stopped. He absolutely had to be stopped, but it, that doesn't stop you. I love the fact that James Gunn wanted to remind us that, hey, you know what? Starro didn't just come here looking to wreck shit. He got brought here against his will and for decades was tortured and he was pissed. So at the end of the day, yeah, he, he was mad. But more importantly, at the end of the day, he was a victim. Anyway, thanks for raising that up, Koa. Dark Jedi Knight writes, when King Shark rips the dude in half with lightning behind him in slow-mo, all I thought was King Shark wins flawless victory fatality. That was so good. I also just loved when he bit the guy's head off and it was just like an apple, just gnawing on a guy's head. It's like, oh yeah, yeah he's a he's a total apex predator. Yep, he, just, he eats human flesh. Even at the end, he's like walking around pointing at corpses. Nom nom, like, can I eat that guy? And And listen, Suicide Squad doesn't suddenly say that, oh, now everybody on this team are good guys and they're just all wonderful. King Shark is still a guy who will literally grab somebody off the street and murder them and eat them. Harley Quinn is, oh, I think I saw a red flag in you. I'm going to Harley Quinn will murder a lot of people. There's obviously still some disbalance 
in in Ratcatcher too. I mean, they're not all suddenly angels. And I like the fact that that James Gunn still kind of rode that line. I thought that was really really good. Um, okay, next up, uh, where are we at? Samuel C one three seven writes. One thing that struck me uh, the most was how clever it all was. We all knew the beach scene was going to be a disaster for the squad, but I thought Bloodsport and co. would be sent in as Waller's plan B. Instead, Gunn makes Waller actually intelligent and shows how brutal she is. She'll kill a whole team and her top man just to get the real team in. Again, I don't agree with that interpretation. And I see a lot of people, and I get it, have that interpretation, but I do not subscribe to that interpretation. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. Waller did not specifically and per I mean, she knows I'm like this the mission is more important than your guys' lives. So if they die, they die. But she didn't just send them there to die. Right? It was, I think it was a dual pronged, a failsafe that I'm gonna send in two different teams. So if something goes wrong with one of them, the other one is still there. Because again, when we see Waller getting visibly upset when members of Team One are dying, that wouldn't make any sense. If she sent them there specifically just to get caught and to get killed in an ambush, she'd just be sitting in her chair going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but that's not what was happening. She was getting visibly upset that things were going south, but okay, I got my plan B. Because again, the moment she finds out Red Flag was still alive, plan B, go get Flag. Save him. Go get him out of there. So I disagree with that interpretation. I, it was Blackguard that sold them out. It was Blackguard that sold them out. Anyway, that, that's my interpretation of it. Maybe James Gunn will say that I'm wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what James Gunn had in mind. But who knows? Never know. All right. Uh, let's see. Where are we at? Next up, we got Chris uh, Cutterer who writes, wasn't sure Cena would be able to carry a show on his own before seeing this. I am exactly with you, Chris. Uh, before seeing this, I have no worries now. I thought he was excellent here. Really love the creative. Um, oh, these are two different things. I will say this, though, too. John Cena, I believe, is a lot like Dave Bautista. You have to have them in the hands of the right director. James Gunn has been able to take a limited ability Dave Batista and Dave Batista will be the first one to tell you that by the way I'm, I'm not like Dave Batista is the one who told me listen man I'm not the greatest actor in the world so I know how blessed I am that to be able to appear in these things and work with some great filmmakers and blah blah like Dave Batista will be the first guy to tell you that he's not the world's greatest thespian but he's getting better and learning and learning and learning but when you take a guy like that and put him in the hands of the right director who knows how to hide their weaknesses and accent their strengths, some really good things can come out of it. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the guy who directed Dave Bautista in Guardians of the Galaxy is the same guy, James Gunn, who is now able to get the best performance out of John Cena that he's ever given. I don't think that's a coincidence. And I think it's really also very key that James Gunn is directing a bunch of the Peacemaker show. So I agree with you, Chris. It gives me a lot of confidence in that. Okay. Next up, Chris also writes, really love the creativity with the title cards I did too throughout the film. Made it feel even more like a comic book that came... That's a good, that's a good point, Chris. I didn't, I didn't mention that earlier, but you're right. Not only 
did it create a creative way to tell story. It made it feel a little bit more like a comic book story with the subtitles, if you will, with the little chapter lines and the chapter points coming in there. It really did a good job of that. So well, well said. All right, next up, Boris uh, Neklovsky writes, Hey, John, just finished watching it a second time. I've seen it twice myself uh, with my brother who loved it. It's such a great film. James Gunn always kills it with the music, too. Yeah. And again, the soundtrack and you go back to Guardians of the Galaxy. James Gunn just knows how to put in some classic yet slightly obscure soundtrack songs in the right spots that just you never would have think of them, but they work perfectly in it. Like when they're pulling up the van to the checkpoint, it's an ambush. This is where we first meet Milton. Milton's driving the van. He's like, oh, where's your papers? Oh, yeah, I got my papers here. And they're playing that one song. Bang on. Bang on. And it's like, this is a weird song for this moment. But my God, it's actually really working in this moment. James Gunn is great at doing that. He's great at doing that. So, yeah, that worked a lot for me. Thanks a lot for sharing your thoughts on that, Boris. Uh, Next up, Crashing Coyote writes, Over the last week, I saw my three favorite movies of the year, The Suicide Squad, The Green Knight, and Pig. I still got to see Pig. I now want an Assassin's Creed-style blood sport game. Um, Yeah, that could be interesting. I'd play that. A blood sport game done in the style, blood sport the character, not the Jean-Claude Van Damme classic martial arts movie, done in the style of a Assassin's Creed game. I think that would work, Crashing. I really do. I think you might be onto something there. All right, next up. Uh, Crashing Coyote also writes, Also, Monster is Nom Nom was better than Hulk Smash. Um, I'm going to disagree with you on that. I thought it was great. Monster is Nom Nom? Like, that was pretty great. But I still think Hulk <sighs> Smash. I, I'll still give it to that. I will still give it to Hulk Smash myself personally. All right, Ifron Dagman writes, if, oh, sorry, in my own head, I would love to see Batfleck go after Peacemaker. By the way, love the show, John. Thank you so much, Efron. I, I appreciate it a lot. I mean, I'm glad Batman, like I just said earlier, I'm glad Batman didn't show up in this movie. But it would be interesting to see Batman go and take down Peacemaker at some point. But I, I don't think you're going to see that crossover. I think that's going to be something. I think they're going to keep that separate. But that would be interesting to see, Irfan. That would be really, really interesting to see. Uh, Irfan, sorry about that, man. All right, thanks for writing that in. I appreciate that, dude. All right, next up. Uh, Doberman writes, The Harley Rampage scene was so much better here than that uh, runny poop sandwich in Birds of Prey. This was how and why you make uh, films R-rated. Well... Yes and no. I mean, look, here's the reality of that scene. The reality of that scene is that scene in Suicide Squad, not not the Harley Quinn one, could easily have lived in a PG-13 movie. The very fact that James Gunn, like when she would stab guys, instead of seeing a bunch of blood splatter, they would have flowers and colorful things. It, I, I'm, I'm just telling you right now, that scene could have been in a PG-13 movie. I mean, there might have been one or two details they may have had to have altered, but people tremendously underestimate how much they can get away with putting into R-rated movies or putting into PG-13 movies. They really do underestimate what can be put in a PG-13 movie, especially with that little visual thing that James Gunn did with the flowers and the rainbows and the colors coming out uh, as they were killing people. So I do think... Um, I do think it would have worked. 
I do think it would have worked uh, in a PG-13 movie, of all things. But yes, this scene was vastly superior to that to a similar scene that they did in uh, Birds of Prey. But it's just because overall the scene was better. It had nothing to do with the rating. I on, Honestly, I don't think it had anything to do with the rating. I just thought it was a much better executed scene. Anyway, that's just my take on that. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, Dover. All right. Last question uh, that we're going to take before we take a little bit of a break. You guys know in these uh, spoiler discussions, every hour I take a quick five-minute break. We're approaching the top of the hour here. So we'll take one more, and then we'll take a little bit of a short break. This one comes to us from Russell Amador, who writes, Hey, Russell. Uh, Although King Shark was my favorite for obvious reasons, nom nom, the character who hit home for me was Ratcatcher. As someone who has also had their dad pass, the impact they left on me will always be felt. Listen, I it wasn't just that she had a dad who loved her. It was she had a dad who loved her, who had a horrible addiction that ultimately killed him. Think about this. She found her father dead with a needle in his arm. That's effed up. That is totally, completely effed up. She found her father dead with a needle in his arm. And instead of filling her with a lot of anger, which I think would have been the response for most of us, she, and I I love the way she describes it as his burden, his self-inflicted drug addiction, she referred to as his burden. And there was something tragic yet beautiful in that. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think somebody mentioned it earlier in this video, but I will tend to agree. There is a beauty in this, and it really made her the heartbeat of the film. She was the humanity. You know, she her character too was at the heart of all these crazy, homicidal, murderous characters, there had to be one that was kind of the human heartbeat of the film. And I think that was Ratcatcher. And she kind of provided that anchor for us. And it was beautiful. It was really, really... That scene near the end when she flashbacks to her and her dad sitting on top of that building, overlooking the city, talking about the lowliest of creatures and how we all have purpose and that wonderful memory. And she's crying and... It's just so you don't expect that in a movie where a walking great white shark is grabbing guys and ripping their bodies in half. You don't expect that type of emotional pathos, if you will. You know what I mean? Um, It was really, really well done that way. And I thought it was great. All right. Uh, Listen, guys, we're going to keep things rolling here. I'm going to let you guys know. You now have the next five minutes. If you have not sent in a comment or question you want read and you still have some you want to get read, you've got five more minutes to send them in. Because when we come back from our little break here, we're going to take five minutes to let you guys run, use the bathroom, grab a drink, talk amongst yourselves. I'm going to rest my voice a bit, go refill my drink, all that stuff. But when we do come back, I'm going to be turning off the Super Chat feature. Because I want to try to make sure, I'm going to see if we can get through all the super chats that are getting sent in here today so nobody has to wait to get them followed up. But at some point, I got to turn them off. So you got five minutes to send in any more that you guys want to send in. Otherwise, hang tight, uh, relax, talk amongst yourselves. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. All right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as I took a little bit of a break there uh, to rest the voice of like every when I do these these videos all by myself and I'm talking like straight nonstop, 
here's the thing you know a lot of people will watch like the game streamers on twitch you know john some of these guys they'll stream for like four or five hours i'm like yeah but they'll go like 30 seconds a minute minute and a half straight without saying anything and then they'll talk for a minute and then they'll take like 30 seconds off and they're just playing like i'm literally talking non-stop non-stop not stop. And if I don't stop and give myself a little bit, like that's when I have Rob on the show or if I have Aaron on the show or Greg Alba or Kimberly Curran or Scott Mance on the show or something like that, then while they're talking, I'm not talking and it gives my voice a bit of rest and I can go longer. But yeah, I got to give myself a little bit of a break when these do th when we uh, when we do these things. Anyway, guys, I have now turned off the super chat feature. So all the questions that we now have are the last ones we're going to do. Uh, we still have like a good hour and a half of two hour or two hours of questions to get through. So let's not waste any time and get back to it, shall we? We're going to get things picked up here with Ryan Loner, who writes. Uh, good to see Sebastian is still being a hero after he got after he got Scott out of the quantum realm. Oh, the rat. I get it. Cause it, uh, okay. I'll, you know, I'll give you the drum hit for that. Uh, of course, cause the rat accidentally stumbled on the thing that got Scott out of the quantum realm. And now here he is back. There you go. He is now the next cross MCU DCEU character. All right. Next up, uh, Josie reviews writes, there was a lot of dark moments in the suicide squad, but nothing was darker than King Shard alone in the bus while everybody was at the bar. Hashtag man eaters. Well, I mean, I mean, that was definitely it again, highlighted the loneliness he feels. But to me, again, it was that moment that became earlier when he was like staring out the windows they're driving by and he sees a couple like somebody who has another somebody in their life and clearly something that King Shark was missing. It, it, it was so moving. It really was. And then that just highlights again, when they flash out to him, just sitting in the van alone, him feeling that way. That, that's a really good observation. Um, Josie reviews also writes also hashtag justice for Milton. I've been, don't laugh. I've been seeing that popping up on uh, Twitter. I've been seeing that justice for Milton thing popping up on Twitter. Um, and again, I love the second time through, like I liked Milton the first time I watched the movie. But the second time through, I just felt so bad for God. And it shows you kind of still, look, Harley Quinn is a emotionally detached homicidal maniac. Like Milton just dies and Polka Dot Man, they killed Milton. And like, who's Milton? <laughs> like poor Milton. Justice for Milton indeed, Josie. All right, next up, Jerome writes. I uh, think Waller intended for the first team to die. I definitely do not think I, again, if you actually look at what happens in the movie, that makes no sense. And I know that's what 90% of people out there interpret. That's what happened. But to me, that makes no sense. Anyway, uh, what was the funniest moment for you is what draw again. I, I struggle between the, the team realizing the village of people they just killed were actually on their side. Uh, Harley killing the Presidente after you know saying you you set off a red flag, killed him. Um, the whole thing, Peacemaker's line about killing every man, woman, and child. Uh, Weasel drowning, realizing he can't swim. There's there's a lot, man. There's a lot, but those are the ones that stand out to me the most. All right, Remmer Bulldog writes. Um, there's so much funny moments in Suicide Squad. One of my favorites was when King Shark was about to eat Ratcatcher, and her rats early alerts everybody's like. Eh. That was funny. I just like how slow he was doing it too and how much they made it really a thing that she totally is like a narcoleptic. Like she totally just sleeps. 
And even when she was about to be eaten, she was still sleeping. I thought that was pretty funny. All right, Jerome writes, do you think government the government cut cut Waller's budget? I don't really know what you mean by that. I'm going to guess no. Considering they have airlift planes that take their team anywhere they want to go whenever they need them. All right, Jesse writes, one of three. For me personally, they're going to have one hell of an uphill battle getting me to care at all about Peacemaker in his show after what he did in the movie. Killed one of my favorite characters because of Liberty and was going to kill two more teammates just because. To me, that just felt like it could have been his come to Jesus moment where he drops his anything for Liberty mentality and helps Flag do the right thing instead of instead he doubled down on being an asshole. I see Jesse. I appreciate that. I do. But I completely disagree. I completely disagree. I, for one, love the fact that, look, this is the Suicide Squad, all right? These are supposed to be villains. These are supposed to be damaged people, right? And I, for one, love that Peacemaker was absolutely true to his character. And ultimately, he didn't kill Flag to preserve liberty, it was, he did it totally in appropriate balance with what his character's motivations are. He goes, look, if this gets out, it's going to be an international incident and we need to preserve the peace. Peace at all costs. No matter how many men, women, and children I got to kill to do it, peace at all costs. But to me, the thing that makes it interesting is the fact that while he abided by his character's core motivations, you could tell he was struggling with it. You could tell, like, he, he was pleading with Flag. Because when he had the gun on Flag, remember this, when he had the gun on Flag, he could have just put a bullet in his head and been done with it. Remember that. That is not a small detail. That is a key thing to giving us more insight into the depth of the character. Like, as soon as Flag picked up the hard drive, Peacemaker just could have gone, bang. And that's it. Shot him in the head, taken the hard drive, and wrecked the hard drive. But what Peacemaker did was like, look, man, don't make me do this. I will do whatever it takes to preserve the peace, even if it means killing a hero like you. You could tell he actually admired Flag. He admired him. And he hated doing what he felt he had to do, but he was still true to the core motivations of the character. And even with Ratcatcher 2, he didn't want to kill her. You could tell he didn't want to. He was struggling with that. And for me, I think that just made the character all more... Now, not something I, somebody I can cheer for, but it made, to me, the character all the more interesting. And I think... That those experiences, um, I think that those experiences that he had in this movie, the confrontation with Flag, kill, you can tell even when he killed Flag, he didn't feel good about it. That the 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 fact that he was going to kill Ratcatcher, I believe these experiences are going to become important as we get into the Peacemaker series, because I don't think that's where his journey ends. So I actually thought the way they handled it was great. Now, you see it a different way, Jesse. I respect that. But I, I'm just telling you the way I saw it. And for me, I thought it was really appropriate and really, really works. Um, and because, listen, he he had cherishes peace above all things. And he doesn't care how many men, women, children he's got to kill to do it. But he doesn't feel good about it. 
He literally, he really did not feel good about it. Because even earlier, right, when they killed all the people in the village, it wasn't just oops. Like, you could tell when they realized they killed, quote unquote, good guys, they felt pretty bad about that. They're like, uh, like, I don't know. I thought it was great. I just thought it was great. All right. Next up. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that, Jesse. I appreciate that, brother. All right. Next up. My Comic Planet writes in one of three. My favorite was Bloodsport, not just because of his cool weapons, but also his journey. Near the end, when he is fighting the infected, stripping off each piece of armor as weapons until he's until there's nothing left. Yeah, that was great. It was a nice reflection of his own character arc in the movie, stripping away his internal armor to become more vulnerable uh, as he saves Ratcatcher 2. Also, as the as all the rats cover him. That was powerful. Uh, Since he has an intense fear of rats, you could also see this moment is kind of a baptism as they flow over him. Another great metaphor by Gunn. You saw this throughout the film. No, it's true. And listen, also one of the funnier moments, but also I think one of the great moments of character development in the film and a summation of it was this cute and funny little moment at the end, but I believe it had far more power than we were realizing. When... They've won the day, they've beaten Starro, and now they're on the airlift. And he's sitting there and he notices the rat is on his leg and kind of curling up to sleep on his leg. Sebastian's curling up to sleep on his leg. And the way his face, Idris Elba's face, like, but then... But now wanting to actually confront and overcome his fear. And so even though he was still completely, he didn't go, oh, I'm perfectly comfortable now with this little rat on my leg. No, no. He was almost paralyzed with fear. But he decided in that moment, I am going to confront and, and, and overcome this fear. And so, and you saw it all in his face, like, okay. And he reaches his hand out and starts to pet the rat. Again, a cute, funny little moment, but it's, it was also a paramount moment of character evolution. And that's part of the genius of James Gunn, man, is able to, to like kind of slip those little things in there. So I think that is a perfect, perfectly stated comic planet, perfectly stated. All right, next up, Nate writes, rats are the loneliest and most despised of all creatures, my love. If they have yet, they have purpose. As do we all. It was fantastic seeing Tycho's rat catcher. Yeah, it really was. And there, there was a, there's a gentleness and a softness in his voice as he's doing it that makes you go, oh yeah, I guess even if he was like a drug, a drug addict father, he loved his daughter and the way he spoke to her, the love he had for his daughter is what she remembers. It's not finding him with a needle in his arm. It's not knowing him as a good for nothing drug addict or anything like that. The love that he showed her is what stayed with her through the tragedy, through the disappointment, through the heartache and through the loss. The thing that stuck with her was the, the honesty of the love that the father felt for his daughter. And that stayed with her and shaped her. And I, th- I thought that moment was absolutely terrific. All right, next up. My Comic Planet writes, big props to actress Lynn Ash for playing 11 different versions of the dancing mom in that montage. Ah, awesome and hilarious job by her. You know what? I didn't know who it was and I, I still don't know who Lynn Ash is. I got, I'm going to have to go look her up. But I remember thinking that, man, she actually had to do a lot in this movie. 
Like from being every character of the Suicide Squad in the jungle to being Starro to being all the dancing girls in the club at once. She was actually in there a lot. Again, that whole thing just made, it gave such an extra dimension to Polka Dot Man. Such a fantastic extra dimension to him. That was great. Thanks for shouting that out, Comic Planet. I'm glad you mentioned her name. All right, Crashing Coyote writes, what about James Gunn for the Invincible movie? Considering Kirkman said it's going to be a different story in the Invincible world, Gunn may be a good choice. Eh, Ex-director ex and ex-movie. I don't give a shit. Listen, we movie fans do this all the time. I remember after Lord of the Rings came out, every fucking movie that was being mentioned, everybody said, oh, you know who should direct that? Peter Jackson. Every, like, I'm not kidding. Every movie. That was that was being talked about. I was like, "Oh, Peter Jackson should direct that." Oh, after the Dark Knight, every movie Christopher Nolan should direct that. Christopher Nolan should direct that. And then now, like this, like, "Oh, this was great." Well, James Gunn should do that too. Look, I, I, this is why I don't like getting into ex-director. Look, James Gunn is a great director. You can put him in. You can have him direct anything. Anything. And I remember when I was talking to Kevin Feige. And you've, you've heard me say this story a couple of times, but it's, it's, it's so insightful. When I was talking to Kevin Feige about his selection of James Gunn to direct Guardians of the Galaxy, and I brought up to him, I said, you know, James has never done a superhero. I mean, yeah, he did super, but that, that, not a real superhero movie. He's never done anything big budget. He's never done anything like this. Why would you pick him to do Guardians of the Galaxy? And I'll never forget, Kevin Feige just looked at me and said, because a good storyteller is a good storyteller. It doesn't matter how big the budget is. It doesn't even matter what the subject matter is. Somebody who knows how to tell a story is going to be able to walk into any kind of genre, any kind of budget level, whatever, and they're going to be able to tell a good story. And we'll, Marvel, will put the support structure around them to you know, handle the big visual effects and all that kind of stuff, but... We need a director who's a good storyteller. As such, James Gunn can do any kind of movie. But there will be a thousand, there's a hundred other directors who could also be a great, great choice for Invincible. Great choice for Invincible. I think the only reason you're saying that crashing is because you're thinking Invincible is going to be like Suicide Squad. And I don't think it will. I think it's going to be very different from Suicide Squad. But again, so like if they selected James, hey, he's a great director. But there's a hundred other directors who could do it as well. So anyway, that's just kind of my take on that. All right, uh, next up. My Comic Planet writes, I love how Gunn shot the fight between Flag and Peacemaker in the reflection of his helmet. That was actually really cool. Uh, another cool touch we've come to love with his movies. Yeah, it's little things like that, Comic Planet. Like, just a, a different way to show something. A different method to convey the story. And that was a cool little moment. Because, you know, Peacemaker's helmet had been the butt of a couple of jokes. You wear a toilet bowl on your head. It's not a toilet bowl, it's a symbol of liberty. Anyway, to then use that to reflect to us a pivotal piece of drama that was unfolding as Flag and Peacemaker were about to mortally fight each other, right? I thought it was a really nice little touch. It was really good. All right, Future Sex Love Channel writes, one of four, John, I saw the Suicide Squad with my girlfriend and prepped her with the fact that this movie was going to be insane, vulgar, bloody, uh, and ridiculous. As we were watching it, she thought it was the most adorable movie she has ever seen. Between Sebastian uh, Nanawe, I always pronounce it wrong, uh, which she thinks is the cutest name, the jellyfish tank, and Star uh, Starro's bounciness, she couldn't stop making cute noises. Let it be known, this movie has something for everybody. 
it's an excellent, excellent point because as I'm watching the movie with Anne, like Anne likes a lot of the same stuff I do, but she's not like show all the gore you can. Like she's not into that. She's more into the cuter stuff, right? So here I am loving the insane action, the brutality, the violence. And while Anne is sitting there and loving King Shark and Polka Dot Man and Sebastian and the, the rat catcher with her dad moments and the, the, the starfish or the jellyfish things. I mean, you're right. There are so many different levels to enjoy in this movie. And there's really something there for almost everybody. Not everybody, but, but almost everybody. So that's a good observation. Uh, let's see. Next up. So I'm glad your girlfriend uh, uh, liked it, Future Sex. I'm glad your girlfriend liked it. All right. Oh, sorry. I missed uh, part four there. Okay. Uh, we got to the end. She said, King Shark is the only character I care about. And if he dies, I'm going to cry. Thank you, John, for all that you do. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us would have cried. I was very upset when Polka Dot Man died, man. And again, I, I think one of my criticisms of the movie is not that they killed Polka Dot Man. It's just that the way the camp camera angle was on that semi-wide shot was on Polka Dot Man as he goes, I did it. I'm a superhero. As soon as he was saying those words, it made it so obvious he was about to die. That was my own. That's one of my very, and I'm not going to say the only one, but one of my very, very few gripes about the movie. And I only have a very, very small number of them. But one of my very, very, very small gripes about the movie was that was so telegraphed. Like when Flag died, did not see that coming. Didn't see that coming at all. Um, but yeah, when when Polka Dot Man died, it's like, ah, uh, like we all knew. As soon as he goes, oh, I'm a superhero. And, and saying it with the camera angle that you knew, oh, this is a semi-wide, uh, it's a semi-wide shot. So you know they've got the semi-wide shot, so there's going to be room on the screen for something to fall on him or hit him or something. He's about to die. And then, sure enough, he died. And that's one of my only small, 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 small little gripes about the movie. Uh, anyway, next up, we go to Patrick Harris, who writes, Can you explain to me why I should care about Holly Quinn? Well, I don't know Holly Quinn, but I'm sure she's a wonderful girl. Uh, obviously, you mean Harley Quinn. How can she possibly be considered a superhero of any kind? She, I... I I think you're misunderstanding what Harley is supposed to be. She's not a superhero at all. She is a insane homicidal maniac. She is. She has some kind of ethical code, but at the end of the day, she is, she is, she's broken. Harley is broken. She was a, a victim of the Joker. She was completely broken by him. And now she's just a living expression of that brokenness. And whether you care about her or not is going to be up to the individual viewer. But she's compelling, man. Like, I watched this character, this manifestation of brokenness, who is also a homicidal maniac, who is also just happens to be very, very good at killing people. Walking around with all this damage and baggage that's constantly being manifested through her violence and through her dialogue. You don't have to care about her. I'm not even sure how much I care about Harley, but I know I am completely find the character compelling, super compelling. I just love watching her. 
I mean, it's just, they do so much with that character. I think she's infinitely watchable because of all those things I just mentioned. You don't have to love the character. And like, like the way I love King Shark, that is not how I love Harley Quinn. Although I do love Harley Quinn from the animated show. That's a totally different thing. But this is just a fascinating character. The, the combination of the homicidal maniac with the brokenness of the fact that she really is a victim as well, much like Starro. I mean, Harley Quinn is ultimately a victim of the Joker. But now she is what she is. And I personally just find that very, very compelling. So that's just me. All right. But you, you know, you, you experience the character, however you experience. I'm just explaining how it works with me. All right. Matt McClure writes one of two. Wow. Um, that sucked. And I really wanted to love it. I love DC. I love James Gunn. I love parts of it, but what happened? It's basically the same movie as the first same beat, same ending. I think James Gunn with restrictions brings out his best. I'm really disappointed. Well, I mean, listen, Matt, like I said, at the beginning of this, I don't think this movie's for everybody. I, I don't think the movie's for everybody. The same things that I think are what make this movie amazing for some people are going to be the exact same things that make it maybe not so great for others. And all film is subjective. So if it didn't work for you, that's totally cool. There are some very, very popular movies that I don't like because they just didn't work for me. That doesn't mean I'm right and everybody else is wrong. It just means we all have different experiences with these movies. Again, all I can say, Matt, is that my experience was very different than yours. I thought these were compelling characters. I thought there was action that was grounded in narrative all the way through. I thought it mixed a great sense of visceralness with heart warmth all at the same time. They gave us moments to be thrilled and moments to, to be charmed. I just thought it delivered everything. I thought it was totally fantastic. Not the greatest DCEU movie ever. Again, I still, that crown belongs to, um, um, to man of steel to me. No doubt that belongs to Zack Snyder's man of steel, but I thought this was some kind of awesome, like some kind of awesome. And it's okay that it didn't work for you, man. We all got those movies. Hey, everybody else likes them. And I didn't, and there's nothing wrong with that brother. There's nothing wrong with that at all. All right. Next up. Matt also writes, and Killing Flag suck in my opinion. I really just cannot understand how this got made. Got made because it's fantastic. And Killing Flag, again, though was great because it served a story. Listen, there are, you know what it reminds me of? Here's what it reminds me of. Did you guys see the movie Misery with Kathy Bates, right? A lot of comic book fans today are that character. They're Kathy Bates from Misery. Because you remember... In Misery, what happens is, is James Kahn, he plays a writer of a very famous series of books. This is fictional. Of a very uh, famous series of books with a character, I think the main character in the book's name was Misery, which is where the name of the, the movie comes from. And he gets into a car accident in the middle of nowhere, and Kathy Bates finds him and, and brings him back to her place to heal him up. And she real oh, and she's the biggest fan of his books. Now, in Misery, I'm giving you a quick story summary here. James Caan has the latest draft of his newest book in the Misery line. So since he was out, Kathy Bates found it. It's like, oh, she's the biggest fan of it. So she reads it. But in this book, he kills Misery. James Caan, the writer, kills Misery in the book. And Kathy Bates is having none of it. And she's like, you got to rewrite this. Misery can't die. You got to rewrite this. She takes a sledgehammer to his legs. You can't, you can't do this. And I find 
that a lot of comic book movie fans today are like that. It's like, don't do this to my character. Look, characters are there to serve the story. And they're there to serve the overall movie and serve the experience of the movie. And while I love Flag, his death served the movie. Because I was sitting there watching this fight between Peacemaker and Flag, and I never thought for a second either of them were going to die. And when Flag dies, I was shocked. And this profound sense of, of what happens, this tragic moment in the movie, blah, it added to the movie for me. Even though I love this character and I would have loved to have seen him in more movies, the movie comes first. Characters are there to serve the movies, not the other way around. And I, and it made for a heightened experience. Tragic, yes, but a heightened experience in the movie nonetheless. And so even though I love the character, I'm like, that was a pivotal and great moment in the movie because it also set this, the framework for things that for other things that then happened after that moment. So it was key and important. So yeah, uh, my encouragement to my fellow film fans is don't be Kathy Bates from Misery. Don't think that, you know, the characters are yours and the movie should serve the characters instead of the other way around. Don't be Kathy Bates from Misery. Now, that doesn't mean you had to like his death. Like, it worked for me. Maybe it didn't work for you. And that's cool. It's all subjective. But for me, it, it was actually a really important, pivotal moment in the movie. And the movie was heightened because of it. And I say that as a big fan of the character, but that's just me. All right. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, Matt. I appreciate it. And it's, it's important too, that people who had different experiences than, you know, the majority of us here love this movie. Um, the majority, obviously most of us here who are watching this video, we love the movie, but I think it's important that guys like you, Matt, that, Hey, listen, there are going to be people out there that had a different experience with it. And I think it's important that you mention your point of view on it as well. And while I disagree I think your point of view is every bit as valid as my own, and I'm glad that you shared your your point of view on that, Matt. So thank you for that. All right, next up, we got Johnny Weiner who writes, remember when Peacemaker stabs Rick Flagg? It shows him pushing it into his heart like a Mortal Kombat-style fatality. Somebody else was mentioning that. Fatal blow, Peacemaker. What a joke. I love that that was his, because you know what? Remember how I said that I think the events of this show, his struggle of killing Rick, killing Rick, the fact that he almost killed Ratcatcher 2. I remember I said a little bit earlier that I think that these are going to be moments that have consequences later in the Peacemaker show. I think these are going to be things that come up again. I think what Rick Flagg says, because remember, Peacemaker called Rick Flagg a hero. He believes Rick Flagg's a hero, and he killed him. And then Rick Flagg's final words were, Peacemaker, what a joke. I believe these are going to be words that we're going to hear echoing in Peacemaker's head later on in the show. I, and I have no proof of this, but I think that when the Peacemaker show does come out, we're going to hear echoes of those words. Peacemaker, what a joke. I think that's going to become pivotal to things that happen to him moving on. I, I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but we will see. We will see. All right, next up, Min Tran writes, I was really surprised they killed Rick Flagg. Me too, man. Uh, out of everybody in the squad, besides Harley and Peacemaker, I thought he had the highest chances of survival. I did too. Listen, I I thought that um, Idris Elba was going to live, but if you had bet me $5, one of these two characters is going to die. Idris Elba's or Rick Flagg. I would have guessed, well, Rick Flagg's going to live, so Idris Elba will die. I wouldn't have bet $100, but I would have bet 5 bucks. 
I would have bet five bucks on that. Uh, I really, I thought Flag was going to live too, man. I really did. But that's what kind of added to the surprise of the movie. All right, Daniel Fitzpatrick writes, I saw it twice and it took after the second time, but the more I think about the movie, the more I love it. So many great moments. James Gunn is king. And I'll tell you what, I loved my first experience watching the movie. I totally did. But like you, to me, it was the second viewing. The second viewing just brought more home to it. And I was really able to soak in more of the emotional moments as well and appreciate the violence of it. So I agree with you, Daniel. The second one was even a higher point for me. All right, next up, Cutter Hale writes, I just got back from seeing it a third time. King Shart is my absolute, uh, is my favorite. The fake mustache. Oh my God. The fake mustache scene. I forgot about that. Kills me every time. Bloodsport and Peacemaker are tied for second. Parents don't take kids. Uh, I've seen kids going, dude, you know what's funny? I had a buddy of mine after I saw, saw it for the first time, a buddy of mine who's in the film industry gave me a call and said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to see a screening of this at the studio. And I'm thinking about taking like my 12-year-old kids. They've seen some R-rated action and stuff like that before. I think they can handle it. But do you think I'm cool to take them to this? And I'm like, ooh, I don't know. I said, if they've seen Deadpool, they'll probably be okay. But it is pushing it. So I don't know about that. But let's talk about the mustache scene. When he's a disguise and he's doing this, right? But the best part about that scene, the best part about that scene was after everybody tells him that's the worst disguise. No, it's obviously still you. It's the worst disguise I've ever seen. He walks away. He's like, like he's so mad that his, that his uh, disguise wasn't working. That was absolutely adorable. That was absolutely adorable. Anyway, I like that part a lot. All right, next up, Min Tran writes, um, why do you think Gunn created a new uh, incarnation of the thinker instead of using Clifford DeVoe or Cliff Carmichael? Just because it worked better for his movie. Uh, yeah, they just worked better for the movie. Again, the movie's not there to serve the characters. The characters are there to serve the movie. And if James Gunn just thought this would work better for the movie, that's probably why he did it. You shouldn't be beholden to the original source material. Use it, draw influence from it, Take from it for sure, but don't be beholden to it. I've always said this. I'll say it again. The number one job of a filmmaker is not to make something as true to the source material as possible. The number one job of the filmmaker is to make the best movie possible. And if that means you got to take liberties to source material, you go ahead and do it. Um, and he, he did that in Guardians of the Galaxy. He did it in Suicide Squad. And I think to great effect. All right. Brian Crossan writes. One or two. I love this movie, though I do have a rat phobia, so I can relate to Bloodsport. I'm not a big fan of rats myself. I remembered the article about DC saying James Gunn can kill any character he wanted, including Harley. So I honestly thought anyone could die. Do you think that mystery helped the movie because anything could happen? I think. I'll tell you this. At the end of the day, I kind of wish we didn't know about that. I kind of wish now in hindsight and hindsight is always 2020, but in hindsight now, I kind of wish we never heard that interview where Warner brothers said that James Gunn, we gave him right to kill anybody he wanted because while I was still surprised how many characters they killed so early in the movie, I wasn't as surprised as I would have been 
had Warner Brothers not publicly said, yeah, James Gunn can kill whoever he wants to kill. Because that kind of gave us a little bit of foreshadowing and knowledge that, oh, yeah, there's probably going to be a lot of these suicide. Because there's like 13 or 14 of them on the posters, right? Probably a lot of them are going to die. So I kind of wish we didn't know that. But you're right. It does. It harkens us back to that, Brian. It totally, totally did. All right. Next up, uh, Ross Pitt, Shark Hunter writes, with the way people have been talking about the deaths in the climax, I was honestly expecting a few more of the squad members to die. Yeah, I mean, but I'm, I mean, at the end of the day, when you think about how many characters were in the poster, and let me bring it up here because maybe I'm not, um, maybe I'm not getting it properly here. Let me just bring this up here. Hold on a second. Uh, so uh, the Suicide Squad um, characters. Let me see if I can get this. Let me see if I can. I'm thinking of this one image in particular. And I'm not. Okay. This is the, the image in particular I'm thinking of. Let me see if I can bring it up on screen here. Okay. So we've got this image, right? Um, and as soon as I'm able to actually bring it up on the screen, we'll be able. There we go. So we got this image here, right? So what do we got? We got Ratcatcher, um, uh, Blackguard, King Shark, Boomerang. I can't remember what the alien orange skin girl's name is. That's eluding me right now. Javelin, Thinker, Savant, Polka Dot, TDK, uh, Idris, Cena, Harley, Ratcatcher. So we got 15 characters on here, right? We've got 15 characters. Mongol. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, not real and Ronin uh, put in there. Uh, and of course, uh, Weasel's up there too. So we got 15 characters. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. We got 15 characters. At the end of the day, post credit scene, not counting the post credit scene, not counting the post credit scenes. At the end of the day, we had Bloodsport, Ratcatcher, and King Shark, and Harley. Four. Four out of the 15 lived. Four out of the 15. Now, if we take... Um, if we take the post credit scenes out... Oh, sorry. If we take the post-credit scenes into consideration. Okay, so Weasel's still alive and Peacemaker's still alive. Okay, that's still only six out of the 15. Nine dead, six living. I don't know, man. I, I, they killed a lot of the characters. <laughs> they did kill a lot of the characters to me. But uh, anyway, uh, that's just me. All right, anyway, uh, thanks for writing that in, Ross. Next up, random person writes, RIP Milton, you will forever not be, be not remembered. Hashtag justice for Milton. I still say, they killed Milton. Who's Milton? I got to admit, that was pretty funny. I think I'd, rem I'd know if a guy named Milton had been with us this whole time. He was totally there the whole time. Again, Harley Quinn, not a good person. Not a good person. All right, my comic planet writes, I saw the box office weekend for Suicide Squad was only $26 million. We're going to talk about this on the John Campy Show tomorrow. The initial projection was in the 35 to 40 range. Why do you think it failed to reach those numbers? That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the movie itself, not about the box office results. We will talk about that tomorrow on the John Campy Show. But I will say this. Now, this is on a video clip, so you guys correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe 
last week on the show, somebody asked, how much money do you think it's going to make? And I think I said, now, if I, I might be wrong, but I might not be remembering this right. There will be a video cl- clip of this up. So you guys correct me if I'm wrong. But I think I said, it's going to make some, I think it's going to make somewhere between 25 and 30, 25 and 35 mil- million. I said, look, look, you look at all the things against it. And I won't go into it again because I said, you look at all the things stacked against it. It doesn't matter how good this movie is. I don't think it's going to do well, especially because of the HBO, because H, you know, Warner Brothers stabbed James Gunn and this movie in the back by putting it on HBO Max. They completely stabbed the movie in the back. But there were other reasons to we'll go on about that. Uh, we'll go on about that. But I think I said, I think I said somewhere between 25 and 35 million. So, Yeah. That's right. But again, we'll talk about it more on tomorrow's show. We'll, we'll talk about it in depth on tomorrow's show. All right. Next up, Andrew Reynolds writes, uh, something that recurred often was that the difference between a villain and an evil villain, uh, is if they are willing to kill kids, it came up like three times. Yeah. I think, I think that is like, there's always something about like, there's a, there's the bad guys and there's the truly evil. There's bad guys and truly evil. See, there's good guys and then there's heroes. They're not always the same. Good guys can be good guys, but then there are heroes. I think there are bad guys, but then those are truly evil. And I think you're right. And a lot of movies, including this one, the willingness to kill children. I mean, kill 50 adults if you want, but killing children is considered a line that bad guys won't cross. The truly evil will, like the thinker was, but the bad guys see killing children as a line that you don't cross. I think you're right. That is something that a lot of movies do. All right. Uh, Next up, Ross Pitt, Shark Hunter writes, "Uh, me and my sister cheered with joy when it was revealed that Weasel lived. I think a lot of the theater I was in both time when Weasel wakes up on that beach and then just comes and goes running up. Everybody in the theater was cheering, man. Everybody in the theater was completely cheering. All right. Next up, the Wakanda Forever writes, Loved it. Saw it twice in theaters. I can't, I can't see you, John Cena. Uh, tidy whities. That's just racist. That was a funny line too. That's just racist. Um, fashion tip, John polka dots, all the rage this year. Yeah. I could never, um, I could never get away with like, there's some really cool clothes that I could never get away with wearing. Polka dots is something I would never be able to get away wearing. (laughs) Very, very cool. I could never get away with it. All right, Mega Movie Z writes, John, I remember you said Doom Patrol is like Kevin Smith building a house and Shakespeare as the interior decorator. That's right. I'm glad you remember that. Well, same with Suicide Squad. I, yeah, listen, I, I, I give you that. Um, because the surface of Suicide Squad is just, again, hyper, super violent, all these weird characters just kill a lot of people, but there's a ton of heart underneath of it. There's real character growth and development and emotion and things like that. And you're right. Um, I do. I still do think that's how I describe uh, uh, Doom Patrol. It's like a Kevin Smith building a house and Shakespeare's the interior decorator. And you're right. I think that does apply to Suicide Squad as well. That's a really good uh, comparison there, Mega Movies. All right, next up. Uh, Miguel Espanda writes, background spelling uh, out characters Background spelling out characters was cool. Some died before their names on screen. Funny as fuck. Idris acting was A plus and and last I'm a motherfucking superhero. Yeah. Yeah. Again, there, somebody brought it up a little bit earlier. 
Um, somebody brought it up a little bit earlier in the video, but it made it feel a little bit like what Ang Lee did with that Hulk movie was too much. Cause remember that Hulk movie that Ang Lee did where he even put up the comic book panels and all that kind of stuff. That was an interesting idea, but it went too far. I thought this was just the right amount of that and still gave it a little bit of that comic book story mechanic kind of feel. You know what I mean? So I think that was a good observation somebody brought up. Thanks for that, Miguel. Uh, next up, Empire Fan 1980 writes, Nice to see Jennifer Holland in this movie. I know her from the terrible American Pie movie, The Book of Love. Uh, she, James Gunn, girlfriend or wife. I don't even know who Jennifer Holland is. Uh, straight up, I don't know who Jennifer Holland is. Let me just bring this up. Uh, uh, let's see. Jennifer Holland, an American actress. And who was she in this movie? I'm looking this up right now. Um, Jennifer Holland. Oh, and she's going to... Oh, she was the office worker. And I guess she's going to be in the Peacemaker Series two. Okay, so I guess Amelia Harcourt, she was the office worker, right? Like that's who she was in there. I'll be honest with you. I have, I, I don't know her at all. I have no idea who she is. None. All I know is that James Gunn used to be married to Pam from the office and I still wish they were together, <laughs> but apparently they're, they, they, I mean, they broke up and they're still friends and apparently they're very amicable with each other, but I, I still, I love those two as a couple. I wish they were still together, but uh, yeah, I've never heard of this girl. So I, I did not know. Um, guys are saying they're actually married now. Crashing Coyote saying she's Gunn's wife. Adam Robles saying she's Gunn's girlfriend. So I, I honestly, I have no, I have no idea. I have no idea. Some are saying that's his wife. Some are saying that's his girlfriend. And I simply don't know. I, I just don't know because who celebrities are married to is uh, nothing that I'm concerned about or worry about. All right. Next up. Uh, let's see. Jerome writes, any character you wished live longer? I mean, you know, from a fan point of view, I'm just like, oh, would have been nice to see more of Nathan Fillion in the movie. Um, obviously, James Gunn and Nathan Fillion have worked together a long time. Nathan Fillion starred in, I still believe, James Gunn's best movie, Slither. Like, I, I love Suicide Squad, but I still think Slither is his best movie. If you guys haven't seen Slither, Michael Rocker's in that too. Elizabeth Banks, fantastic, fan-freaking-tastic. Ah, oh, so good. Um, so I still think that's the best one. But I, so, but I'm just because I'm a big fan of Nathan Fillion, I would have liked to seen a little bit more of him. I'm a, I like the Boomerang character. Would have liked to seen a little bit more of him. But again... They were used the way they needed to be used in order to heighten the movie. <clears throat> so, yeah, there's that part of me that would have liked to have seen more of them, but it probably would have made the movie suffer if they did. So they used them the right way. So I'm OK with it. Uh, so that's just me. All right. Next up. Um, Jerome also writes, think Polka Dot Man could have defeated Starro? Yeah, I do. I, I think if he had stayed focused, whatever, I think he probably could have defeated Starro. Anthony MR writes, Bloodsport versus Batfleck would be something else. Batman all day, every day. I mean, anybody short of Jesus, you can say Batman versus anybody. Anybody short of Jesus, Batman wins. 
at least a lot of the time. Batman versus Superman, Batman can win that fight. Batman versus Galactus, I think Batman can, at somehow, some way, Batman will figure out a way to win that fight. So yes, Bloodsport versus Batflick would have been interesting, but at the end of the day, it's going to be Batflick. All right, Cameron Nelson writes, uh, Mongrel can go toe-to-toe with Superman, but dies by fire. Not complaining, just seems like a waste of a good villain. Um, it, again, the character was used... Um, the character was used to be used to heighten the impact of the movie. The movie was not there to serve that character. So it was not a waste of a character. The character was brought in. The character created an experience in the movie. And that's all you can ask for a character to do. And by the way, the comic books are the comic books. The movies are the movies are two different things. So I didn't think it was a waste of a character at all. All right, next up, uh, Mega Movies writes, my top three were Harley, Ratcatcher 2, and King Shark, but Polka Dot Man was close too. Who is your favorite squad member or how would you rank them? I, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to try ranking them, um, but yeah, I just, you know, it's funny. When you think about it, it's really weird because Idris Elba was so good as Bloodsport. Like he was, he was fantastic. And yet he's not in my top couple of names when I think about who my favorite characters were because I'm thinking about King Shark and I'm thinking about Polka Dot Man and I'm thinking about Ratcatcher 2 and that says something about the movie when you recognize how good Idris Elba and the Bloodsport character is it's great and yet that character is not one of the first that comes to mind when thinking about not even Harley Quinn and this might be this might have been the best on camera iteration of harley quinn we've had yet and yet when we think about our favorite characters we're thinking Ratcatcher and polka dot man and king shark i mean or milton that's how good this movie is so i think it's kind of uh it's kind of neat when you think of it that way all right next up caleb crane writes when polka dot man ate ate it that's the fastest a theater has ever gotten for me i don't know what that means when polka dot man ate it that's the fastest a theater has ever gotten for me I don't know what you mean, Caleb. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, Greg Scott Bailey writes, loved it. Uh, but why kill Polka Dot Man? Gosh, darn it. Arg. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it created a moment in the movie. They killed him because it created a- another moment of tragedy and shock and surprise in the movie that elevated the movie. Yeah, it means you can't use him again anymore. But remember, he's got a multidimensional power. This is the comic books. They could always bring him back. They could always bring him back. I'm not a big fan of that, obviously, but they can always bring it. But again, they did something. Um, they did something to elevate the film. They did something to elevate the film. And I thought that it worked and it was great. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, Secular Monk writes, love this film. Ratcatcher 2 stole the show. Ratcatcher, again, I think was the beating heart at the center of the film. I re- She was the human heart of the film. I, re- I really think that. Our Ross Pitt Shark Hunter writes, they made me feel terrible for Starro Rao. Again, it's amazing. They made you feel empathy for this planetary domination threat level thing like Starro. And at the end of it, we just felt bad for him. Again, he had to be stopped, but they still made us feel bad for him. And I thought that was genius. Uh, AMV Fan 15 writes, Polka Dot Man and the Mother Thing was hilarious. Listen, every single time you would think if I was reading the script... And I saw 
Polka Dot Man says, when, when asked, where's your mother now? Polka Dot Man says, everywhere. And he sees all the Suicide Squad as his mother. I would have said, that's a great visual gag, but don't do it again. But they did it again later on in the club with all the dancing girls. And then they did it again later on seeing Starro. See, if I was reading the script, I probably would have said, okay, that's, that's going to the well too many times. It's just going to feel silly after the first time. The first time's great. Don't do it again. But guess what? It totally worked. The execution of it made what would have in theory not worked. But overall, it just it, it just worked great. And I thought it was hilarious. So thanks, so thanks for sharing that, man. Next up, Black Rice 19 writes. I enjoyed it, but thought Harley was the least interesting character. Her stuff in Act Two with the politicians slowed the movie for me. I don't know, man. I I mean, I respect that because all these scenes hits us hit us in different ways. But for me, I thought it was fascinating because again, you saw the influence of Joker all over the place in that, and you saw that the repercussions and the reality of her damage comes back into play. Because she is damaged and reminds us of that over and over again. It's like, I really like you, but I made a rule for myself. And the next time one of my boyfriends starts showing red flags, I'm going to do the right thing and murder them. I thought it was great, but it gave us a couple things. Like It gave us a little bit more understanding about what's going on in Quarter Maltese. It, it set up a terrific action sequence with her escape from the place and gave us far more insight into the character and her issues and her damage. So for me, um, I thought it worked great. There, there were moments in the film that I felt that slowed down. Like, that's why I don't think this is the best DCU movie yet. I still think that's Man of Steel. I don't think it's the best James Gunn movie yet. I still think that's Slither. I think this is a fabulous, fabulous movie. But, you know, one of the things that it suffered, besides being able to telegraph some of the shocking moments like the death of Polka Dot Man, was there were moments that it suffered a little bit from some pacing issues. Quite frankly, this is a movie that could have been about 15 minutes shorter. This movie could have been about 15 minutes slower uh, or shorter. I don't think it had to be an hour and a half, but I think it clocks in. Guys in the live chat, help me out, but I think it clocks in at two hours and 15 minutes or two hours and 12 minutes, I think. Um... Yeah, I, I think it clocked in some, somewhere around two hours and 12 minutes. I think if this scene came in about, um, oh, you guys saying, yes, it was 212. Perfect, right on the nose. Um, I think if this scene came in at like uh, 155, like maybe just right around two hours or just a little bit short of two hours, I think it would have just been... Mm, I think it just would it would have just improved the pacing of the film. I think it just would have made it hum a little bit better. Again, it didn't have to be like an hour and a half, but I think if they just shaved like 10, 15 minutes out of it, I think it would have just sung even better. But, you know, I think that about a lot of movies, to be honest. I, I, I think one of the problems with a lot of directors today, even great directors like a James Gunn, I think sometimes they get a little bit too married to the footage they shot and aren't willing to do the hard, hard work of cutting out some scenes and some shots that they worked so hard. And I get it. If you're a filmmaker, you've worked years on developing these scenes, getting on a set, shooting these scenes, all that kind of stuff. It feels like a shame and a waste to cut them out of the movie, but you got to do it for the betterment of the film. And I think sometimes directors get a little bit too attached to their footage and, 
don't want to shorten it a little bit. And some movies should be longer. Some movies should be shorter. And I think this one could have stood to be about 10, 15 minutes shorter. But eh, that's just me. Because I do think, well, I don't think that the Harley Quinn with the Presidente thing hurt the pacing of the film personally. I do agree that the movie did have some pacing issues and it could have felt a little tighter, but that's just me. All right. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on that black rice. Next up, uh, Kali Wally writes King shark eating a guy whole had me squeamish dude. King shark ripping the guy in half also had him. King shark did some pretty squeamish things for sure, dude. All right. Big boss writes, uh, flag isn't dead. Remember it's the DCU fake death universe. Oh wait, that's the MCU. And it's too scared to kill off characters and rant. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, let's not pretend. I mean, in this movie alone, we had two dead characters come back. Weasel who they said was dead post credit. He's alive. Peacemaker who the movie communicates. Oh, he's dead now. Got shot in the throat. He's dead. But then by the post-credit scene guess what he's alive so let's not pretend like that 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 dc is above it either they aren't so we could see rick flag again but i i kind of felt like they put a big explanation mark on his death so it's possible he comes back but i'm, I'm guessing he's probably not anyway aj taylor writes uh one of the darkest moments in the suicide squad is learning that amanda waller sent the first team to die on purpose to make way for team two chills again i think that is an incorrect interpretation that that interpretation does not line up with the facts that we saw in the movie. Because if Waller sent them there specifically knowing that they were going to be ambushed and that they would all die, that would be completely contrary to what actually happens in the movie. Like her getting really upset that Weasel drowned. Not because she cared about Weasel, but because that's her asset. That's her asset, right? And as different characters are dying off, she's getting frustrated and angry. Most importantly, she doesn't want Flag dead. Flag isn't one of the prisoner members of Task Force Esk. Flag is her guy. And the moment she realized he was still alive, her number one priority was go save him. Go get him. So again, um, it was, it was Blackguard that, that tipped them off. What I thought we saw was Amanda Waller making the very strategic decision to send in two separate teams. So if something went wrong with one of them, it would actually free up the other one even more to be able to go do because they just, they would become a distraction. But again, I do not think if you watch the movie, nothing in the movie actually supports the idea that Amanda Waller purposefully sent them to that beach with the intention of having them die there. There's nothing in the movie to suggest that. Now, again, I have not spoken to James Gunn about this. It's not like James Gunn told me, oh yeah, John. uh, I mean, for all I know, James Gunn's going to come out and say, actually, yeah, that was Amanda Waller's plan. And if he says it, well, then I'll just have to accept it. But, But again, nothing that happens actually in movie backs that up, backs that theory up. So I, I, I do believe that is an incorrect interpretation, but I could be wrong. I mean, I could totally be wrong, but again, I just don't think anything else in the movie backs that up. Okay. 
I'm going to take one more question here, guys, and we're at the top of the hour again, so we're going to take another short break because um, we've been going on now for two hours. So we're going to go with J.R. Wheeler, who writes, I love it, John, that two of my favorite comic book movies are from Marvel and DC, and both are directed by James Gunn. I hope he continues to ping pong between Warner Brothers and Disney. Well, listen, we talked about, this was key because we talked about it on the John Campus show the other day that Walter Hamada over at DC has confirmed that James Gunn is going to come back and they already have other projects planned. So what we've had is James Gunn making movies over at Marvel. Then he came over to DC and made Suicide Squad. Now he's going to go back over to Marvel, do Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Then he's going to come back over to Warner Brothers. And we'll see what happens after that. Actually, after that, I wouldn't be surprised if James Gunn goes enough comic book movies. I'm going to go make some other horror films that I really love to do. But I love, love that we now have a director who's literally going back and forth and making movies for both companies. I love that. I think that is fan-freaking-tastic. I absolutely adore that. Okay, guys, we're going to take another little break here. Um, You can probably tell my voice is starting to go. We've been going for two hours now. When we come back, we will pick things up with Derek Anderson. So, guys, go grab a drink, talk amongst yourselves, relax a little bit. We will be back in about five minutes. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. All right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as I took another little break there. Uh, so again, every hour I got to take a little bit of a uh, of a break there to rest my throat up, refill my drink, stretch my legs a little bit. But now we are back. Let's keep on going with your questions that you guys have been sending in here, talking, of course, against, uh, about Suicide Squad and an open spoiler discussion. So let's keep things rolling here. Uh, next up, we've got, I think it's Derek. Yes, Derek Anderson writes, was Peacemaker really struggling with killing Flag and Ratcatcher 2? Or was he afraid Waller would blow the bomb in his head? Or was it a combination of both? No, he wasn't worried about Waller. He was struggling because remember, Waller's instructions were, don't let this information get out. Waller would have had him kill Flag. Waller, Flag is Waller's guy. But if Wall, if Flag is going to go off mission, and Flag is going to uh, threaten what her objectives are, then yeah, she would have had John Cena kill. Cena wasn't worried, or Peacemaker wasn't worried that oh, Waller won't like it if I kill Flag. No, that was his specific mission. She knew Flag is so honorable that maybe he'll try to release this to the public or might want to bring. She told Peacemaker, listen, no matter what, that information doesn't get out. So he wasn't worried about Waller blowing the thing in his head. If anything, Waller was only motivating him even more to want to stop Flag. So, yeah, I think he was really struggling with that decision. I really do. All right, next up. Remember, Bulldog writes. Poor Milton. The whole sequence when they were talking about not knowing who he was with them was so hilariously in so many funny moments in this movie. Again, I did love that. But it also spoke to the nature of Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn is not a good person. Who's Milton? I think I would have known if we were with Milton the whole time. It's like, this poor guy. You know what? Don't we all sometimes feel like Milton? I think we all sometimes feel like Milton. We just feel like, man... If I just fell out of this team or fell out of this organization or fell out of this school, nobody would even notice. We all feel like Milton sometimes. 
and stupid Harley Quinns. Who's Milton? But we got to remember, even if we're Milton, don't forget Rat Catcher's one's words. We all have purpose. All of us. Rat Catcher 2 had purpose. The rats had purpose. All of us have purpose. And Milton, as Polka, remember, Harley Quinn may have forgotten him. Polka Dot Man didn't. Don't you forget about that. Whenever you feel like a Milton, and we all do sometimes, remember, Polka Dot Man, Polka Dot Man knew who he was, and Polka Dot Man valued him. So keep that in mind, too. All right. Next up, Min Tran writes, If Waller was doing a D-Day with the first team as a diversion so that second team can sneak in, why would Waller place one of her top general uh, her top general flag on the team? Again, she wasn't specifically sending them in as a, as a diversion. I think she sent in two in case one of them fit, ran into problems. She had a fail-safe. She had a plan B. And if one does get discovered, great. I mean, it, it, that becomes a diversion. Ideally, they would both succeed, but they don't, they don't. And again, there's there we've gone on about it a lot, but there's nothing in the movie to me uh, that remotely suggests that um, that Waller intentionally sent them there to die. Again, her getting upset when the individual members are dying, her making Flag the number one priority for the team to go and rescue him, all this kind of stuff. I, I think it all speaks against that idea that she specifically intentionally did it. It was Blackguard that double-crossed them. Anyway, and that the movie made it clear that Blackguard was the one that did it too. So yeah, there's that's my take on it. Again, James Gunn may come out and say that I'm wrong about that, but that's what until he says that, that's my interpretation of it. All right, Mega Movies writes, R.I.P. Milton, he was the true MVP. We're all a little bit of Milton. We all recognized ourselves in Milton a little bit, didn't we, Mega Movies? All right, Parker writes, how would you compare slash rank the Suicide Squad's final fight scene uh, against the giant starfish with other DC final fight scenes, better or worse? I don't do rankings and comparisons. I thought, it was, look, it was its own unique scene. There has never been anything like the Suicide Squad versus Starro. There's never been anything like that in the DCEU. Not really. Not really. So it's an apples to spaceships kind of comparison. It was an apples to spaceship kind of conspiracy, uh, 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 apples to spaceships comparison. So I, I wouldn't try to rank it against them because they're just so different from each other. I look, let's just say I thought it was fantastic. I just thought it was fantastic. All right. Uh, D Duval, Duval 59 writes, maybe it's just me, but I couldn't care less about a peacemaker show. He was too evil and not deep, uh, like the movie. Otherwise, I mean, Hey, listen, that's your interpretation of it. And, I'm not going to lie to you, other than the fact that the James Gunn was writing and directing a lot of Peacemaker, there wasn't a lot there for me to be excited about either. But Peacemaker does not, to me, he did not come across as just pure evil. He came across, he's got this ideals he holds to, but he struggles. He didn't want to kill Flag. He didn't want to kill Ratcatcher. And you could tell he hated when he did kill Flag. And I believe these are all just the beginning points of an evolution in the character. So again, you don't have to like the character, but I am completely find him compelling, much like the Harley Quinn character. So I'm on board with it. And I wasn't really all that on board with the Peacemaker show prior to this movie. But now that I've seen it, now I'm completely on board with watching it. We'll see where it goes. All right, next up, Ben Rayner writes, can we put Margot Robbie in that elite category of actors, Hugh Jackman, Robert Downey Jr., and Ryan Reynolds, as actors born to play their respective characters? I don't think so. Now, don't get me wrong. Margot Robbie 
as Harley Quinn has been great. I really do like her as Harley Quinn a lot. There are others I've liked a lot. Ben Affleck as Batman. Henry Cavill is my all-time favorite Superman. Um, there have been others like that. But would I say that her playing Harley Quinn is on the same level as Ryan Reynolds playing Deadpool or Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine or Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man? I wouldn't go that far. I think she's great in it. I think she's wonderful in it. But yeah, on, on that level, no, no. Now she's great in it. I'll look forward to seeing her more in it. But on that level, it's like, man, she was born to play this. I don't think so. But that's just me. I mean, maybe you do feel that way and others may as well. Uh, but to me, they're, that whole Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman, uh, Robert Downey Jr. playing those respective characters and being born to play those, that's just on another level. Because look, they're all like mainline characters, right? Harley was in the three movies she's appeared in. She's only even been the main character in one of them. And that was a bad movie. By my opinion, it was a bad, it's subjective, of course, but like the, the birds of prey movie with Harley Quinn was a bad film. And that's the one she led. She was a very, she was a supporting character in suicide squad, not tiny, but you know, that was really more Will Smith's movie. Uh, she's a supporting character in this one. Really, the movie, she, I mean, Harley is not the main character of this movie, clearly. But, and she, again, she's very good. Very good. I, I love seeing her play Harley Quinn. Same level as Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine. I wouldn't go there. Yeah, but that's just me. That's just my opinion, Ben. Yours may differ, and that's totally fine. All right, Magic K writes, I kind of Batista passed the role of Peacemaker I kind of Batista passed the role of, uh, of Peacemaker. John Cena is awesome in the film. And do you think he will be the villain in his own series? No, he'll be the anti-hero of his own series. Did Dave Batista pass on playing, um, on playing Peacemaker? Hold on a second. Uh, I didn't know that. I didn't hear that. At least he's saying he did. Yeah, there are reports that said James Gunn initially wanted uh, Dave Batista to play, to play him. Um, yeah, didn't know. Yeah, listen, I think Dave Batista, Dave, they've already shown Dave Batista in the hands of James Gunn can deliver the goods. We saw him do that as uh, Drax the Destroyer. I think he could have done a good job in this too, but. Yeah, man, I I think Cena was just better suited for it. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I think Cena was probably just a little bit better suited for it. All right, Min Tran writes, I was talking with my friends who, who also, hmm, I was talking with my friends who also WWE, and for us, we saw that the Peacemaker character is just a crazy version of the John Cena WWE character. I disagree with that. I don't agree. I mean, yeah, I don't see anything similar between the John Cena in-ring character and Peacemaker, like, at all. But I, I don't know. You guys do. I don't watch wrestling nearly as much as I did when I was a kid, so I don't really know. I'm not really in touch with it. So uh, maybe you know better than I would, man. All right, next up. Lone Wolf X6 Rex. 
My only negative, uh, the thinker felt underutilized. I don't think so. I think using thinker anymore would have felt unnecessary and forced. They, they had literally as much of thinker in this as there should have been. Any more would have deviated from the main purpose of the movie. The character of thinker was there to give us context for Starro and to be a plot device as the suicide squad's initial way into Jotunheim. Doing more with him just for the sake of doing more with him would have been to the deter to the, to the, um, um, to the detriment, I should say of the movie itself. So I don't think he was underutilized at all. There's a lot of characters in this movie. Like there's a lot of characters, but you got to look at what was the core main purpose for the character set up context for Starro and get, be a plot device to get the, um, suicide squad into Jotunheim. They did it and they didn't do any more than that. And I think that made it perfect, but that's just me. All right. Uh, let's see. Magic K writes. I mean, I'm kind of glad in the previous chat. What was your previous chat? Oh, you're kind of glad Dave Batista got it. Thank you for correcting that on that magic. I appreciate that. Anthony MR writes, I bet the creators of Harley, Paul Dini and Bruce Tim didn't expect her character to become this today when they created her for Batman, the animated series. Oh yeah. Like the, the character now is so much grander. Like she was literally when she was created, I saw this little, uh, this little piece they did on the Harley Quinn character once the creation of her and, like they didn't really think much of it when the Harley character became really popular. It surprised everybody like no, even the creators didn't think she would become a big popular thing, but there was just something about the character and to see what she's become now. She's got movies named after her. she's got her own animated series, all that kind of stuff. It's kind of crazy. It's absolutely nuts when you think about it that way, Anthony. All right, next up, uh, the mad Titan writes, What's up with all the birds? Uh, uh, Michael Rocker killed the bird. Then the bird ate his brains. Harley admired the birds on the date, and then they got uh, torched. Uh, is this a freedom metaphor? Also, Cena, Cena in George, L, uh, in Jorts, LOL. Yeah, that was a great scene. I don't know. I, I mean, clearly, there's a broader metaphor at play here. There is a broader metaphor at play. The birds themselves might have just been a representation a, a, simply in a very basic way of good, a basic representation of good, right? And those who would harm it are literally against goodness. And if you embrace them, that shows that there is goodness in you if you embrace them. Like Harley loved them. So despite the fact that she's a homicidal maniac and crazy and all this kind of stuff, there are sparks of goodness in her, even though she's not really a good person. So I don't know. Maybe the metaphor is just that simple, Mad Titan. That's a good question, though. What was the meaning of You know what? If I ever get a chance to sit down and talk to James Gunn about this, I will ask him that. Not that I'll ever get the chance to sit down and talk to him about it, But if I do, I will ask him, what was the deeper meaning of the birds? You seem to use them very symbolically. That's a great thing to bring up. All right, next up. Uh, I meant to say the birds got torched. Don't worry about it, man. I'm very considerate of you to follow that up to make sure I didn't get confused. But I got you, Mad Titan. I got you. All right. Uh, Ashay Najir writes, I, John, my apologies, man. I, for some reason, recalled sharking dies in the blur and dies and blurred him surviving that fall and jellyfish and all. I don't know why. No problem. Yeah, I was like, did you see the movie? Uh, Ash, 
did, did you see? Because he, man, I don't like that King Shark died. He kind of didn't. Now, I get it. For a bit of the movie, you think maybe he did because Starro throws him for the through the building. And then we don't actually see him again till like right at the end after the fight is done, him coming walking down the street. So there was probably a good couple of minutes there that we thought he was dead. Not that they ever showed him dying or anything like that, but until he walks back in, we never got. So thanks for the follow-up on that, man. I appreciate that. All right, next up, the Mad Titan also writes, who had the best kill? Peacemaker hacking the sleeping dude up. Oh, dude, that was so funny. Uh, was visceral. Starro killing the thinker was metal as fuck. Yeah, Starro ripping him apart was great, but there were so many great kills in this movie, particularly um, when they were going to rescue Flag. You know, there were some great kills in there from the simple, like using the uh, crossbow in his arm to, uh, well, I mean, King Shark just coming up behind the guy and then like eating him and devouring him was hilarious. Uh, Polka Dot Man taking down the tower and the killing the guys who were in it was visceral. Um, There was a lot of them, but that John Cena one, instead of some fancy shots, Literally just walking up on a guy sleeping and just very nonchalantly with a knife, stab, 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 and walk right on. And then as they're walking on, kind of pick his nose. Like, it's just, yeah, just murdered some people, just killed some people. It's no big deal. But yeah, man, that, that shot though, is he's walking up on the, on the guy sleeping, just stabbing him to death as he's sleeping. That was pretty harsh, dude. That was pretty, pretty harsh. All right. Uh, and at, uh, by the way, somebody just mentioned it in the uh, live chat there. C. Grayson Gilbert in the live chat also mentioned the Captain Boomerang thing slicing the guy's head off oh, or cut, cutting his head in half. That was pretty, pretty awesome, too. All right. Cisco. Uh, Cisco H. writes, sends in like a $20 super chat. Thank you, Cisco, for supporting us on that level, man. Uh, my number one issue was Waller not killing everyone at the office after they whacked her and defied her orders. A uh, 2016 Waller killed all her aides just because they they're still breathing. Ain't no way those office aides should be alive. There is a see. I was thinking about that. There are two mitigating circumstances that make me think twice about it. Mitigating circumstance number one. It was done. I mean, it's it's over, right? It, there's nothing to be done at this point. Like with the events in the first Suicide Squad, there was an active, immediate purpose for her taking out her staff. But in this Suicide Squad movie, there was no point to it. Like she didn't kill her staff in the first one because she was mad or bitter. There was There was a matter of importance that, okay, because of what's going on now, these guys can't be alive to talk about what's happened here and blah, blah, they, they have to die. And so she killed them in this movie though. There was, there was, it was by the time she woke up, the situation was finished, right? The situation was finished. Starro had been defeated. The guys had the drive. There's really nothing. There's nothing to be gained at this point for killing them. And besides, she doesn't have just a straight up license to kill her own staff, government employees, unless she had a really important reason. So that's mitigating circumstance. Number one, there was no purpose to kill them at this point. Mitigating circumstance. Number two, for all Waller knew, she was just standing there and then she blacked out. 
She didn't see somebody sneak up on her with a golf club or whatever it was that girl hit her with, right? So there's plausible deniability there. Like the other staff just go, we don't know, Ms. Waller, you were just suddenly you passed out. So we didn't know what to do except to carry on with the mission. Right? There's some plausible deniability there. So I, I don't know. So yes, I remember thinking that too. It's like, oh, all these guys are dead. But then when you do think about it, there there were those two circumstances. There was no point in killing them after that. And number two, because it's, it was done. And then number two, they had plausible deniability because she never saw somebody hit her. She suspects probably for sure. But I mean, it is what it is. I mean, but I, I agree with you, man. I thought the same thing. I did think the same thing. All right, next up. Victor Watson writes, I have HBO Max, but I decided to go see Suicide Squad with a friend. Love the movie experience. Fun, fun, fun. Dude, I'm so glad you did. But here's the harsh reality of it. Here's the harsh reality of it. And we'll talk. I'm only going to touch on this for a second. We'll talk about it more on the show tomorrow. Um, Suicide Squad's dead. It's dead. HBO backstabbed them. They stabbed them in the back. They stabbed James Gunn in the back. They stabbed everybody who worked hard on that movie. They, they stabbed in the back everybody who helped finance that movie, pulling that bullshit same day and date release on HBO Max. This was a movie that already had a ton working against it. The bad reputation of the first film, even though I personally like it, but I know most people don't. So it was already working against the bad reputation of the first movie. It was working against the fact that it was, other than Harley, completely no-name characters. The fact that it was R-rated, which was going to hurt its box office no matter what. So it was working against that too. And then on top of all of that, oh, yeah, we're going to put it on uh, HBO at the same time. Completely killed the movie. So when this Suicide Squad does not get a sequel, and it ain't going to get a sequel, when this Suicide Squad doesn't get a sequel, you can always, you're going to be able to go back and say the ultimate thing that killed this was Warner Brothers stabbing this movie in the back and doing that bullshit day and date release on HBO. It killed it. It financially killed the movie. It absolutely killed it. We'll talk about this more in general tomorrow. The only hope that this Suicide Squad, and by the way, all you people who want home day and date releases, bravo, bravo, you just killed this movie. You killed it. And by killing this movie, you've killed other movies like it. Did you love the kind of movie we just got in the Suicide Squad? Awesome. Guess what? I'm not going to see him again. Great. Way to go, Warner Brothers. I mean, what else to say besides that? Now, the only hope that this movie has and this kind of movie has is if the new owners of Warner Brothers, Discovery, once they take full control, that the new owners of Warner Brothers are going to be way smarter than the current leadership of Warner Brothers. And that they will go, you know what? The former owners screwed this movie over. We know this movie and this kind of movie can be successful if it's treated right. And we're going to treat it right. That's the only hope this thing has. 
at this point. Um, so yeah, it's the only hope is if discovery comes in and are way smarter. And I think they are, I mean, the, the people who run discovery are brilliant. What they've been able to do with this little thing, turning into a global powerhouse, it, they have some incredibly smart people over there. So the only hope that Suicide Squad, this was an almost $200 million movie, not quite $200 million, but almost $200 million, I think it was a $180 million movie that got stabbed in the back repeatedly and made like $26 million opening weekend when it deserved so much more. Um, I really hope the people at Discovery who are going to be taking over Warner Brothers are way smarter than the people who currently are running Warner Brothers and sees through the financial failure that this one is going to be and know that it has potential for success if it is treated properly. So let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. All right. But again, we're going to talk about this a lot more. Um, we're going to talk about this a lot more on the John Campus show tomorrow. Uh, okay. Next up, uh, Lord Genome 76, right? <laughs> Rat catcher is my waifu. I don't even know what waifu is. What is waifu again? I can't remember in the live chat. If you guys know what waifu is, let me know because that sounds like something very endearing that Lord Genome just said, All right? Isaiah Campbell writes, um, uh, Luis is saying wife. Is that what it means? Is that what waifu means? Wife? I didn't know that waifu. Anime it means Japanese wife. Okay, good to know. I learned something new today. Thank you guys in the live chat. Uh, all right. Isaiah Campbell writes, this movie was my return to the theater since Bad Boys 3. Didn't expect uh, to love Ratcatcher is my favorite character in the film. And lastly, R.I.P. Milton. Like, I think, listen, the two characters that really caught me by surprise. I mean, I think we all knew Sh King Shark had the potential to really be adorable. But I don't think any of us went in um, I don't think any of us went into Suicide Squad expecting to really like Ratcatcher 2 or Polka Dot Man. We thought they would be these weird little creepy characters in the movie. They both just completely surprised us with that, man. And I'm glad you were able to get back to the theaters. And this is a good one to go back to the theaters with, Isaiah. I'm glad you had that experience. All right. Robert Wilde writes, uh, Rats are the lowliest and most despised of all creatures. If they have purpose, so do we all. That moment was so moving uh, to me, and I loved it. And again, I think some people misinterpret that scene because then it cuts back to Ratcatcher 2, and she's crying. She's not crying because, yeah, my rats have purpose. She was crying because she understood her father was talking to her. We all have purpose. And in that moment, she understood what her father was trying to tell her. She had purpose. And she was going to save that city and the world uh, through using the rats. And I thought it was just a beautiful, beautiful moment, Robert. I agree with you 100%. Uh, Victor Watson writes, I noticed people are finding things wrong with Suicide Squad, but I had no problems with it at all. But uh, then it takes a lot for me to not like a movie. Good job, James Gunn. Well, I mean, listen, Victor, it's, it's only fair. When we talk about movies, just because we like a movie doesn't mean we should ignore and, you know, some of the shortcomings. Because here's the thing. It is a weakness. I think it is a sign of weakness to go, oh, well, since I like a movie, I'm not going to hear anything negative about it. And I can't believe that there's anything wrong with it. No, 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 no. Truly loving, a, truly being a real fan is understanding all the strengths and the weaknesses of the object of your fandom and being a fan anyway. Like I'm a big fan of the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
They have sucked my entire lifetime. And I acknowledge that, but I love them anyway. And even I had a few issues with James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Again, like the the, the way we could telegraph the death of, uh, of Polka Dot Man, the fact that I do think it had some pacing issues. I think it could have cut about 15 minutes out of the film, but in a little time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I love this movie. Love it, love it, love it. I acknowledge the weak, some of the weaknesses. I don't agree with everybody else's, like there, you know, some people have written in today that they didn't like certain things and I've not agreed up for me. Those things were strengths, but even I have some things that I think were weaknesses and I acknowledge them, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I still love it overall. And there's a real weakness in film fandom that thinks if I like a movie, I cannot acknowledge anything wrong with it. And I will not abide anybody saying a single negative thing about it. And some people think that's fandom. That's not fandom. That's not fandom. That's just being as an ass clown. That's all that that's being. It's not true fandom. So um, I don't mind other people like, pointing out negative things. I can agree with their criticisms or I can disagree with their criticisms. But I think it's good to, to explore as a piece of art all the things that were good and bad about it. And then still love it if we loved it, even though we acknowledge the weaknesses. So anyway, that's just me. That's just me. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, where are we at here? We are at Lord Genome writes confused about the beginning. If Waller knew back, uh, Blackguard was betraying the team and I don't believe she did, uh, to why would she send them all in anyway, especially Rick flag again, Lord Genome. I believe that is a big misunderstanding of the situation. I do not believe Waller sent them there specifically to get killed on that beach. Everything else in the movie works against that. So I don't believe in that. Inter- I think that's a wrong interpretation of the scene. Again, James Gunn may come out and and point out that I'm wrong about that, but I really don't think so. Not right now, anyway. Not until James Gunn says so. All right. Mu uh, Mu Odeeb writes, uh, Peacemaker. Is that, a, is that a reference to Dune? Mu Odeeb? Um, Peacemaker. What a joke. Will this, along with his near-death experience, be used for a less one-note focus on his character in the upcoming show? I can see Flag's last words haunting him thoughts. Well, I just said that myself a little bit earlier. I just said that self a little, I said that myself a little bit earlier that I believe we are absolutely going to hear those words haunting him. But again, I believe they got rid of that one dimensionalness of him at all. Once it became known that he was tasked by Waller specifically to make sure none of the information there ever gets out because the one dimensional character would have, as soon as flag picked up that hard drive, the one-dimensional character would have just pulled out his gun and shot Flag in the head right there and then. That's what the one-dimensional character would have done. The multi-dimensional character showed doubt and showed regret and showed second-guessing and even verbalized it to Flag. It's like, look, I'll do what I have to do to keep this, even if it means killing a hero like you. And please don't make me do this. And even you could see his hesitation in killing Ratcatcher too. The one-dimensional character is just, ah, this kid's uh, in my way. Bang. Done. But he clearly didn't want to do it. But his core foundational principles as a character were driving him to do it. To me, that that made him a multi-dimensional character. At least to me. At least to me. But I completely agreed, like I said earlier, Muad'Dib, that a little bit later, I believe in Peacemaker, those words of Rick Flagg, 
saying Peacemaker, what a joke. I think those are going to haunt him. I really do. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just saying I believe uh, it, it will. All right. Jack Jack 121 writes. I can see why James Gunn chose this film when asked by Warner Brothers. He can pick a bunch of wacky characters from the comics, and we don't need to question why or how they exist. Uh, That also fits his sensibilities. Yeah, I mean, it was still very, at first, knowing that Warner Brothers said to James Gunn, you can do any movie you want. I'm going to guess Wonder Woman was probably the only character off the table. Wonder Woman and Batman, because Batman was already being done by Matt Reeves. But I probably Batman because it was already underway with Matt Reeves and Wonder Woman because they already really love the job Patty Jenkins is doing with her. Those were probably the only ones. I think Superman, they offered him Superman. I know that for a fact. They offered him Superman. Uh, they offered it, but it was like anything else. You want to do anything, you get to pick whatever you want to do here. Which made it really interesting that he chose Suicide Squad. I, again, at first it really shocked me, but the more I thought about it, it's like, you know what? This, you're right, Jack Jack. It totally fits his sensibilities. And it was, you could just see it watching the movie too. He's right at home doing that. So yeah, it did make sense. All right. Uh, Jarvia H writes, I literally busted out laughing when Rick said on the comms, did anyone verify if Weasel could swim? And Waller gave a slow turn and death stare to one of her subordinates. That, seriously, that, that's basically the beginning of the movie. And it's already setting it up, the wackiness of it. And just seeing poor Weasel flailing around in the water. It was so freaking funny. Did anybody check to see if Weasel could swim? It was such a good moment. It was maybe the funniest moment in the movie. If not the funniest, it ranks right up there. It ranks right up there. Uh, So anyway, yeah, there's that. All right. uh, Thanks for writing that in, man. Victor Watson writes, King Shark and Venom movie, anybody? Just kidding. Two different companies. True, but I mean, I'd sign up for that. Nom nom. I'd totally be down for it. I could sit and listen to a 20-minute conversation between the Venom symbiote and King Shark. I could totally listen. I would sit, I would watch the shit out of that conversation. I totally would. All right. Victor also writes Swamp Thing movie by James Gunn. Anybody? Eh, who cares? X director doing X movie. I, again, when a, when a director comes out and does something great, everybody now wants to mention that director for everything. And all they want that director to do is to do the exact same thing you just did with this movie, but doing with this other character. So look, again, if they had James Gunn do Swamp Thing, okay, cool. He's a good director. Great. But there's also a hundred other directors who are really good that I would be equally as excited. But who knows? We'll see. We do know that James Gunn is doing more uh, more DC projects, Victor. They did confirm that. So, I mean, maybe Swamp Thing is on the menu. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. All right. Matt Sanders writes, I really enjoyed the movie, but I didn't like Gunn's choice to kill off Flag and Boomerang. Uh, most of the film, I was saying, wow, in good ways, but also not good ways. Again, Matt, I say you can't put the characters before the movie. James Gunn used those characters the way the movie needed them to be used. You don't elevate the character over the movie. You do not elevate the character over the movie. Uh, you sometimes can make exceptions for that if they're the title character. Like Wonder Woman, you you might need to elevate Wonder Woman a little bit. Batman, you may need to elevate Batman a little bit. 
If your show is called Daredevil, sometimes the needs of the character is the needs of the movie. But other than that, the characters are there to service the movie. And if the movie requires this to happen, then that's what you do. You don't get all precious with the characters. The characters are there to serve the movie. And the moment you stop doing that, your movies suffer. So I was, even though I love the flag character, there's no denying the moment that was created in the movie by his death and the repercussions that that's going to have for the story as it moved forward. So, and, and boomerang, there was no purpose for boomerang later on. So they didn't need him. They wanted him as one of the original characters from the first movie to add to the shock factor of being of dying right at the beginning. So, the characters were there and they served their purpose. And that's all a filmmaker should be worried about. To me, to me, that's the only thing a filmmaker should be worried about. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, where are we? Mega movies writes Harley scene now uh, better than the Batman warehouse scene. No, no. I listen. I love that Harley scene when she goes full homicidal maniac and full killing machine. Yes. But the Batman warehouse scene? No, that to me, that's still several grades higher. At least to me. At least to me. All right. Oscar Armendariz writes, My favorite part of the Suicide Squad is when Bloodsport and Peacemaker are mocking each other about who has the better kills. What was it? Oh, yeah. Because they're walking through. I love that too, Oscar. They're walking through the village and they've been making kills and like, what is Peacemaker or a, a Bloodsport gives him the finger? Uh, and then John Cena, Peacemaker does the whatever. I just died. And the whole theater Oscar that I was sitting with died. Like completely died watching that. Like just too freaking hilarious. That was so the, honestly, I really love the dynamic between Peacemaker and, and uh Bloodsport. I just thought the dynamic was great. I really did. All right. Uh, Ronan Unchained writes, Hey John, I appreciated that James Gunn made us feel the friendship between Harley, Rick, Rick flag and captain boomerang in the few moments they had together. Yeah. See, that was actually key. I completely agree with you that the moment that James Gunn was not just ignoring that the first movie happened. These are characters who have been to war together. They saved the world together. They've been in battle together. And so I like that when Harley and Boomerang are on the plane, like there's like these newbies. I, a lot of these guys are going to die. Harls. Oh, Boomer. Don't. I mean, I like that they did that. And then later when flag, who's like all about your team is your team. When he finds out that Harley's alive, he's like, okay, well we got to go save Harley. We don't leave our own behind. And so without actually ever referencing anything from the first suicide squad movie. They yet nonetheless, James Gunn clearly showed the effects of the first suicide movie. These characters have a bond, maybe not the deepest bond in the world, but they do have a bond. And I like that they showed that. And I thought that was really good on James Gunn's because James Gunn could have gone. No, there's only my movie. We're not going to make any references or anything that acknowledges the other one. He didn't. He clearly showed the acknowledgement of the previous film and showed those bonds that moved through and it served the movie. So I really like that they did. That's a good observation there, Ronan. All right. Black Bono L Lala writes, 
What's your favorite scene and favorite line, John? I, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, we, we've talked a lot today about all these different lines that were funny and hilarious and, and all this kind of stuff, but I really don't know. Again, there's the weasel stuff. There's the John Cena murdering the guy who was sleeping thing. Several King shark moments, uh, Harley murdering the El Presidente. Um, there's just a lot of great moments. I, 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 I'm not, I can't sit here right now and say this one was my favorite. And this one was my favorite. I can't do, quite do that just yet. All right. Tom Weinberg has the last question of the day sent in as we close in on three hours here. And Tom writes, I saw it a second time tonight. And my favorite moment might actually be Harley killing Luna with her reg flag speech. Love the movie again. I, again, I thought that was great. Now, it didn't work for everybody. Like just one of our viewers wrote in a little bit earlier saying that whole thing about Harley at the, at the presidential uh, estate was a waste of time or, or just dragged too much. And I respect that for me though. I thought it was wonderful. I thought it gave us so much into the character. I thought it, it provided an Avenue with narrative purpose of this fantastic action sequence. I just thought they did a lot there. And I really enjoyed that, Tom, a lot. I really, really did. And while there was no question attached, Miguel es, uh, Espada just sent in a super chat badge just to be supportive. Thank you, Miguel. I appreciate that, man. All right, guys. That'll do it for our open spoiler discussion of James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. I loved this movie. Again, I, I don't think it is my number one DCEU film. I think that honor still belongs to Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. But it's probably, you know what? I think it passes Shazam as my number two favorite DCEU movie. Because Shazam was my second one. It, James Gunn Suicide Squad, I think, passes that as my favorite, as my second favorite DCU movie. Just absolutely adore this film. It's bonkers. It's crazy, but it's got heart. It's got all the stuff. Just makes a damn entertaining time at the theaters. So, guys. I sure am glad that you guys have come along and watched this with me. Uh, thank you for being here and watching the show. I appreciate that. I'm glad you guys enjoyed, uh, at least most of you guys seem to enjoy Suicide Squad as much as I did. For those of you who didn't, hey man, that's movies. That's the subjectivity of movies. Hopefully you'll like the next movie you see. And by the way, highly, highly, highly recommend you guys make sure you make it a priority to see Free Guy this weekend, this coming weekend. It's a great back-to-back, -back. you know, watching... Suicide Squad, what a gift to us film fans. Suicide Squad one weekend, Free Guy the next. And go see Free Guy in the damn theaters. I think that's the only place to see it. Get out there, go see Free Guy in the theaters. I know it didn't look like it was going to be all that great. I didn't think it looked all that great. But oh my God, this movie is so much fun. So much fun. Go and see Free Guy. Anyway, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. Don't forget the John Campy show returns tomorrow. Me and Robert Meyer Burnett will be on here tomorrow. I hope you guys come and join us as well. Great to have you here. Special thanks to all you guys who sent in these comments, questions, and stuff like that. Number one, because he gave us great fun things to talk about Suicide Squad and gave us some great observations and theories. But number two, you supported this whole YouTube channel as you did it. So all of us here with the channel, thank you guys so much for that support. All right, guys, that'll do it for me. Thanks a lot for being here. Have a great what's little left of your weekend. We'll see you again tomorrow. My name's John Campion. Until next time, my friends, bye-bye.